Hey, Ron, are you there? Yeah. You're you breathing into your microphone, Ron. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, if Ron, if you could just stop breathing, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, putting the microphone at the nose does not do much good. All right. So I'm waiting for the little green light to show up on YooHoo. On YooHoo. On YooHoo. Yeah. <laughs> YooHoo. YooHoo. <laughs> Okay. There's something from 30 years ago. Yes. All right. So the, so we are live on YouTube. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Coco Top, Coco Talk, episode 67 is going live in three, two. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Streaming live on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. All right, everybody, welcome to Coco Talk, episode 67. The fun never starts, but we are here. And we are live. We'll do it live. And we're going to do it live right here on Coco Talk, episode 67. The main focus, the thrust, if you will, of today's show is going to be to cover the Coco Pie Project. But before we do that, we will go around the room and, and introduce who's with us on our panel today. We also have a couple of announcements, some special revelations to make here as well. Uh, we are on a new communications platform. We said, screw you, Skype, after your most recent update. So we have found a nice Skype alternative. So with us on the program today in O, Canada, we have L, Curtis Boyle. Welcome, Curtis. Hello, everyone. I just thought I'd mention as a, a little bit of an aside to Ars Technica, um, one of the guys there reviewed the new Skype and quite liked it. So. <laughs> oh, really? All right. Yeah. So apparently brain damage is contagious. And yes. Be a millennial. <laughs> no, no he's actually an older guy, Peter uh, Bright. Oh, yes. All right. We also have with us a very special guest on the show today, Mr. Ron Klein. Hello, Ron. Hello, everybody. We have Mr. Question of the Week, Mr. Grant Leedy's with us. Hey, Grant. Hello, everybody. Uh, first time to the live show, we have Mark. Is it Coolian, Mark? Yes. Yes. Mark Coolian's with us. Welcome to the program, Mark. Yeah. So I'm out here in Tacoma, Washington on the left coast, uh, and it's still morning. All right. Well, good morning to you. And it wouldn't be an episode of Coco Talk without the Timberman himself. We're glad he's back to bring balance to the universe. Mr. Rondelvo is with How us. How you doing? How you doing? We're doing good. From sunny Southern California, creator of Audio Spectrum Analyzer, it's Mr. <laughs> Steve Bjork is with us. I'm just happy you don't say so. <laughs> <laughs> kind of come up with a few other things. Yes. And I got to get more familiar with Terry Steen's library. So for the time being, he's just going to be that guy who made Balloon Fire. <laughs> but it's I'm Terry the Steen. Fire guy. The Balloon Fire guy. Welcome, Terry Steen. Popular amongst all the seven year olds. Yes. <laughs> From South America, we've got Cousin of Dora the Explorer. It's Go Diego Go. Welcome, Diego. 
Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. We have one of the angry Muppets is with us here, Richard Lorbieski of Boyson Technology. That's a picture of him and Jim Brain together. So, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> still doing my community service. And unfortunately, I didn't get any credit last week. Uh, <laughs> bummer. You got to talk to your probation officer for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and our resident ink blot, we have Mr. James Diffendaffers with us. Hello, James. Hello. All right, so we're here. We're live. We're on the air. We have with us in the live chat right now, Tim Fadden was here almost 15 minutes early saying, Anticipation. And then Ken Reichert saying, It's making me wait. Right? It's a great song, great commercial for Heinz Ketchup. Uh, yes, Disney Saints fan too saying, It's keeping me waiting. And Tim Fadden says, Lights are on, but nobody's home. Diego says, We're almost ready. Tim Franklin says, You're probably eating cocoa pie. And uh, Bruce. Moore is here. D. Bruce Moore is here, and he says that our Zoom is looking good. Excellent. So we're caught up on the live chat. We're here. Um, we do have uh, a couple of things to to show off today. As I mentioned before, the main uh, the main uh, presentation today, the topic is going to be showing off their latest update to the Cocoa Pie. But I believe we might have a project update or two. Um, I know for a fact Richard Lorbieski does, but does anybody else, before we get to Richard, have anything they worked on this week or came across this week they wanted to share? A little show-and-tell moment here. I just did my, uh, was it, uh, Retrobrite last week, but I didn't talk about it. So it's no big deal unless anybody wants to hear about Retrobrite. Yeah, yeah, well, you can show it up and show us a picture if you want. uh, I'll teach you how to do screen share on this one now. (laughs) <laughs> or do you don't have it in the room with you you can just hold it up to the camera uh no i don't have it with me okay they're not on um uh discord okay well we'll find it we'll pull up discord later we'll look at okay. your retro bike all right tom c is here tom c from joyzy all right excellent excellent all right so we got one retro bright update uh diego <clears throat> it was i think ex- episode 65 when we talked about the core dump and we looked at your furious felines and some of your right. flickering have you made any progress on the feline flickering uh yeah yeah uh i got some help around and i think that the game it's almost almost ready uh it's looking a bit better of course being basic it can't be perfect but it's looking better i spent the last couple of days playing over and over all the levels to make sure that it you can win in any condition. Okay. And try to write some cheat sheets for people that can make it. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So I think it's almost, almost there. Excellent. Excellent. Stevie needs those. <laughs> <laughs> I need the cheat codes. I need the infinite live hack for the game. Just tell me what to poke. Right. So uh, Nick Morenti's just joined us again. Good day, Nick. Yeah, good day. I finally got my picture up on the screen. Got your so picture up, yeah. Laugh at. Yeah, 1980s never look so good. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might argue that, but uh. yeah, yeah that that picture was taken before the ice caps melted. That's how old it is, right? So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's before the scarring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Excellent. So I know we have uh, we have a we have an update from you on your Gunstar Chapter Six. Is that something you oh, want yeah. to just tell us now in the update section, or should we uh, mention yeah, we that a little bit later on in the show? Later on, yeah, if you want, yeah. All right. We can, All right. Put, it, hey, we can 
put it in the um, uh, that other segment. Uh, core yeah, dump. the core dump. And well, yeah. I got I got to find the sound effect for that. Hold on. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't find my dump sound. We'll find a dump sound. All right. So we'll do that during core dump. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Then I believe. Let me see if I can just find the dump. <laughs> nope. That's not the dump. Is this the dump? There we go. There's the core dump. Okay, so we'll save that for the proper part of the show. Okay, so then I think then, hello, Nick Moroda has just joined us. And um, so I think what we're going to do right now is without any further ado, where did, uh, where did, uh, what's his face go? Richard Lorbieski. Richard, you have the floor. So why don't you share with us your project update and your announcement, the whole nine yards. Okay. Uh, someone is sharing their screen. I can't. Uh, oh, okay. I need to stop sharing system sound. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, a few weeks ago, I showed you guys a prototype of the final production of my Boomerang 2 Meg. Uh, I have now since got the new boards in, and I had started production, and I also renamed it the Boomerang E2. This is a uh, two meg version of the boomerang. Uh, what you're seeing here uh, is a picture of the fi- uh, of the two meg board, which is this right here. It's mm-hmm. boomerang. Yeah. And in order for the two meg to be recognized, you need uh, additional. You need a, a addressing or MMU, and so you need that on the CPU. So this is it right here, and you have a, a wire connecting to the two uh, together. So this is what it is. Uh, it is the uh, announcement that the Boomerang E2 is ready to ship. It'll, I will have the uh, listing on my website later on today or uh, early Sunday morning to where you can order these. Okay. And, and they will ship on Monday. Oh, excellent. And this, that's Boyson Technologies, right? BoysonTech. Yeah, Boyson.com. Yeah, and this is the bottom side of the uh, memory board itself. Okay. Yeah, I'm using CPLD. That's why it's uh, very, very small. Which one's the actual memory chip? I only really see two chips on there. Yeah, this this one right here. Okay, the rectangular one is the memory chip. Right. And then the square yeah, this, one. The square one that is the CPLD. Okay. Okay, and then the, uh, <clears throat> the oh, and this is the CPU. This is the yeah. This is the bottom of the CPU. And this one here is it being, this is installed. As you can see how very small and compact. The uh, memory board itself is the same size as the Boomerang 512. Okay. And the only difference is, is you just have the CPU right here, plugs in. Uh, You're going to need a socketed CPU. uh, Right. And and, uh, for it to work. And basically what you do is you uh, socket your CPU and when you install your memory board, it's just like installing a 512K board. And you, can, you have to remove the two little caps here, and it's here. They're not pictured. But, and you install it, and then just run this wire, turn it on, and you're ready to go. What are the other two things for? What, these two right here? No, the two pins to the right of where your connector is. Right. Oh, that, that, so is a dis, that is a disabled um, jumper. There are, it's, it's, you don't really have to use it at all. It's, there are certain uh, Sierra games that do not work 
uh, with two meg at all. Yeah, with two meg, and they only work with five twelve. So if you jumper this, it disables the uh, two meg board. Just makes it a five twelve. Oh. Now, can that be done I, while I the should... system's running, or do you have to cold no, boot? No, no, you have to turn it off. <laughs> okay. I should mention th those have been patched. So if you get the versions on the repository, the rubber gold patch, they will work with two meg. But the original stock ones, if you have the original discs, they, right, they will screw up on two meg. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is something you probably won't even have to use at all. And it, another way you can do it is just remove this wire here, uh, and then it'll just rec it'll recognize it as a five twelve. This board right here, if you just plug it in all by itself, it'll it, uh, the Cocoa recognizes it as five twelve. So you could run a switch to that to the top of yes. your computer mm -hmm. if you wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. But you'd have to turn it off. Right. And then down this, cold. Yeah, and this is in Nitrous 9. You can see that it's uh, 2 meg. And then I also have the uh, stress test, uh, RAM stress test. You can see that it's at 2 meg as well. And cool. let's see. Let me go to... Yeah, you could barely see the top side. I didn't. I didn't get. A, I forgot to get a photograph. But I, this CPU also has. I call it the Guardian Plus. This also has the uh, buffer protection uh, built into the uh, uh, board to protect your CPU. I, I honestly, it's a feature that a lot of people have demanded or want. So I just went ahead and just put it in there it's it was a pretty simple thing to put in there so uh, now do we have to go to a financing department for this item uh <laughs> for you yes yes <laughs> absolutely uh there's there's uh there's three options that you can use uh do is you could buy now the people that have bought the boomerang 512k board for me uh you will get notified uh via the email or uh but you will get a E2 board free of charge. Uh, your your 512 will be replaced. I'm not going to make those. I'm not going to support them. So basically, those ones that I've sold are going to get replaced free of charge. And if you want to take advantage of the two meg, you can all you have the option to buy this uh, uh, Guardian Plus board uh, for twenty nine dollars uh, with free shipping. Now, if you want to buy these two together, e e actually each one of these, uh, this and the CPU board are $29 each, but if you buy them together, they're $49. Wow. So for yeah. fifth, for, let, me, let me make sure I heard that correctly. So for $50, you're gonna get two megabytes and a CPU protector or a guardian, if you will, CPU guardian, right? Yes. For, for $50. Correct. That's freaking amazing. That's, yes, that's super cheap. Now, my next yeah. question is: if, if if you don't have the soldering skills to resocket the CPU yourself, how much do you charge to if you somebody sends in their Coco three for you to do the actual upgrade? Okay, uh, I am uh, the. I, I actually have a couple of ways to do it. Normally, I charge thirty dollars, and uh, with shipping, uh, I will do it for fifty, and I will also replace the capacitors, the electrolytic capacitors. Now, that's if you just send. The PC board, not the entire Correct. case power supply and like that. Right, yeah. Most people, what they do is they take it out of their uh, machine and they, they send me the board and they put it into, a, it fits into a priority uh, mail uh, medium box, which runs about $16 shipping. Um, that $50 also includes me shipping it back. I don't 
charge extra for that. Okay. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, we can, we can do it that way. If you, if you, if you don't feel confident enough to, um, replace your own CPU. Now, if it's already has a socket, now some of them do, um, all you have to do is just take the chip out, put the board, this board in and we put your, your old CPU in, in here and you're good to go. Yeah. I would take an I would take an educated guess that say most of the people who would want two megs are probably Nitrous Nine users that probably yes. already have a sixty three oh nine, so they're already socketed. So I would guess that ninety percent of your target audience is ready to snap this into place with next to no additional modifications. Correct. Of course, of course that's the other thing I should bring up is since you're you know now it's got a socket CPU, why not get a sixty three oh nine from? Don't you yeah. sell them? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> value added service if you don't already have that you can get a 6309 as well and there's free question. software to support it and right i got a question i got a question okay can, can you use that protector on a coco 2 no and by the way uh, you know, it's, honestly, called, it's called it's called a guardian we have to we have to be careful we don't do trademark infringements here it's actually <laughs> called a guardian <laughs> honestly i have not tried it out i i've been most of my testing has been on the uh coco 3 and I honestly couldn't tell you if it works or not. Well, the last thing you got to come out with is the optional switch to disable the uh, extra memory. Right. Well, yeah. this got, that's that'll be Jason's job. Jason will come up with the switcheroo for the uh, for the boomerang <laughs> E2. So <laughs> we got to support got to support the secondary market. So <laughs> it won't be switcheroo. It'll call memory U. Yeah. <laughs> switch a mem or something. Yeah. Yeah. For, the, uh, for the memory for that that jumper, um, I have that dual CPU board. I just ran a set of wires outside the case, real small, with the jumper just so I wouldn't have to open up the case to switch between a 6809 and 6309. That that could be used for this as long as you power it down before you do that. Right. Yeah, and, and again, most I, I would say 99.99% of the time, you're, you're not even going to have to even worry about it. So, Just this just in, but David Ladd sent a message out in the live chat. He says, hello all, I'm at Pond Lake in nebraska so hello to david lad hello! Hello! all right david's with us and uh, ttl broadcast ttl yeah drive wire how did you oh, find yeah, out drive wire <laughs> <laughs> now the uh, and i and i didn't i didn't have enough time to show off uh, another little feature that the cpu can also do there's a lot of people that have the Triad 512K boards. Uh, this CPU board with the Triad, with a, with a little bit of modification on the 512, can turn it into a 1 meg. Say that part again now. You're talking about your CPU... Your your CPU part, the one that's on the right-hand side of the screen, this right. is, the, this is what's Guardian, needed. Yeah, the, the Guardian, Guardian Plus. Okay. If you just buy the Guardian, let's say you already have a 512K board okay. from uh, Cloud9. Okay. Uh, you could buy my Guardian Plus board, and with a modif you have to modify the 512, the Triad board, um, but you can turn that into a 1 meg board. So he's okay. got 1 meg of RAM already on the board, is what you're yes. saying? Yes, it is. 
Hmm. How extensive is the modification required? Uh, you have to lift up two pins uh, on either uh, either chip, uh, either RAM, uh, SRAM chip, pin number one. They have to be lifted up. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of cutting traces, but uh, you just lift that pin up and solder a wire to both of them, and then you run a wire from that all the way to this pin right here, the first pin of the uh, of the bank select. Would you be providing like a, a, a like a diagram on how somebody could do that? Right, I, I'll, I'm going to have that. Post, yeah, I'll have that posted um, probably by Monday. Okay, so this would be for somebody who already has a 512k upgrade. This would be an inexpensive add-on for them to double that to one meg. Correct. So they're going to double the triad board, not the other. They have the, they have the tri the triad board. Correct. Yeah, but if you're gaining there and doing all this work, you might as well go two megs. Right. 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 right, but there, there's some people that have multiple cocos, and they say, "Oh yeah, yeah." So, I mean, I, I think. I mean, have... it's it's kind of reminds me of the you know 64k for free back in the Coco one two days when we found out that Tendi was putting 64k chips and only enabling 32. This is like you get 512k for free because you have a 512k board and you're getting one make. Right. That's pretty impressive. All right. So this this is now available. It'll be able to be received through the Boison Tech website. People can place their order. You can buy both pieces together for $49. The 2 meg board and the memory CPU controller slash guardian. $49, right. great deal. If somebody just wants the memory, they could buy the boomerang by itself without, without the CPU interface. And then at that point, it's just a 512K upgrade. Correct. And at that, that's $29. Correct. Which is dirt cheap. Um, you also had mentioned if anybody had previously purchased the 512K version of your Boomerang, the original Boomerang, that uh, they will get a free upgrade to the 2 meg. You're just going to swap them out? Right. Right. Yeah, that you, I, 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 you will be notified, and I will ship that out. Uh, and also, you have the option of buying the Guardian Plus for $29 and uh, with free shipping. Free shipping. Now, is there a promo code that they could use possibly to get that free shipping? Uh, no, this is this is the people that just own the 512. Oh, okay. I, 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 yeah, I was joking around with you when I said, yeah, uh, code rage quit. But. Yeah, so use the promo code <laughs> rage quit at checkout <laughs> for free shipping. So, no. um, so and we'll, cut, we'll add 30 bucks to the price to cover yes. Steve's mental health problem. <laughs> if there's a future upgrade to like a gigabyte or something, um, You'll still, this will be the same support system. Uh, no, I, I don't plan to do that. The, the, the thing is, I, I just uh, the, there was a lot of people that had purchased uh, the boomerangs, the five twelves, uh, right before I had my prototype finalized, and I just didn't want to like, oh, by the way, I got this now, and you know, they say, wait a minute, why didn't you tell me? No. So that's that's why I'm doing the switching for free. Either run, run a okay. gigabyte of ramp. Come on, get real. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm just, you know, come on. Ken, Ken Reichard says 1.21 gigabytes. And yeah. that's what I said. I said gigabytes, not Drake's megabytes. Got... <laughs> yeah, gigabytes. That's what I'm saying. Come on. And what are you going to do with the 512 boards that uh, you'll be um, replacing for one meg ones when you get uh, them? They, they can make them into party favors as far as I'm concerned. Oh, but, you're not taking them back. They, they I'm keep not taking them back. No. Oh, not. so you're just you're going to be just a free replacement. Just so a free they, replacement. So, so they could hold on to that and upgrade a, another Cocoa Three. Cocoa 3 yeah. 
Well, if they if they want to, but I'm not going to support it at all. If I mean, if it breaks, you know, too bad. Right, 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 right. But it's yeah. just a, it's a bonus. It's a bonus RAM upgrade for them. Yeah, if they want it, that's fine. You know. Gee, at the Cocoa Fest, I should have bought a hundred of the original boomerang. <laughs> I could put you out of this. <laughs> if only we knew. Yeah. Only. If only we could go back in time. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice awesome. That is. Yeah, but, I, but yeah, I, I, uh, I've been developing this for a little over two months, and uh, I just, I, I, you know, like I said, I kept it very, very close. Uh, very few people knew about this. Uh, I had the, the help with uh, a Tandy, an ex Tandy engineer, uh, with the CPLD because I'm not a CPLD programmer at all. Cool. So, can the original boomerang be modified like the triad to get no. one meg? If you, no, because no. it had exactly the amount of memory it needed. There was no bonus RAM on there, huh? Well, it it did it, it, it just it's it's not really equipped uh, to handle uh, more more uh, memory. Can and I ask just, you ask you a question as a software engineer? Sure. Are you going to make the specifications on uh, accessing the extra RAM beyond the five twelve? uh k available on your website yes i will uh, it'll, it'll, it'll probably be tomorrow okay no no yeah. it's super rushed since i don't have one yet right but. right right yeah if you, if you have a if you had a triad 512 um yeah i'll i'll have uh, instructions but i warn you that uh i'm not sure if uh the original manufacturer will support that uh that modification or warranty it or you know give his blessing so it's it's basically do it at your own risk. Yeah, I'm like, just more or less interested in your board and getting to two megs. Right. Now this board works with uh, disk access, no problem. Yeah, you know? no problems at all. Okay, and then uh, SDC two. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it just. Go ahead. Yeah, it it just yeah it it's uh, nitrous nine is naturally uh, works natively in two megs so. Mm -hmm. Well, see, so the, one of the things I'm looking at right now is I'm working on a project, and if I've got more RAM than 512, I can have more samples in RAM for right. audio. Correct. Nice. So yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, so basically, this will work with RS-DOS, and the only things that it won't work out of the box would be the original CR games written for OS9 level. Was that level one, the original CR games? Nope, level two. Oh, they were level two? Okay. That's right, because they were 16 color. All right. So the original Sierra games that have not been patched would not work on this, but if you've got the updated patch Sierra games, they will work. So there's very few things that won't work on this. There was one or two demos back in the day that didn't work, like Sockmaster's original versions of some of his demos didn't work with it because he didn't have anything past 512 himself, but he's patched those too, so I don't think anything else. Okay. So this is pretty much a no-brainer to do if you've got a Coco 3 that doesn't already have 512. And so, so here's, here's me. I'm going to use me as an example. I've got two Coco 3s. I'm not bragging, just saying. But mm -hmm. I've got two Coco 3s, and both of them have 512K RAM that are old-school RAM boards. One of them is a very old Cloud 9 uh, upgrade that's got little um, SIM chips that snapped into it, like the old PC motherboard RAM that snapped into the... PCB. So one of those is that, and I think the other one is a Disto RAM update. So even though I've got 512K RAM and nothing's broken, uh, if I 
got just one of these, if I didn't want the two mags, I could still buy the boomerang, put it in here. And, and the, the advantage is kind of like the 6309 is it's, it's lower power consumption and it runs cooler on your cocoa, right? Right. right Especially so from the distal one because that's like a 16 chipboard. Yeah. So that might be a thing to do. Um, no, that's cool. And the design is pretty neat. And you can also eBay your old ones. Yeah, I would probably just want to keep them and put them on a shelf because they are somewhat, you know, historic. old oddities, historic, you know, Coco 3 RAM upgrades. Right, um, yeah, you, you just, yeah, all you have to do is just replace the boards since they have already been the, the two capacitors for the CAS and RAS lines. Yeah, already yeah, been, already cut. been removed, so all you have to do is just replace the board. Mm -hmm. And if your CPU is already socketed, uh, all you have to do is just yes. take, the, take the CPU out Put it into this board here, right? And plug it in. Hook and up it, this wire. This wire, it doesn't matter. It's it's not uh, polarized no or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I noticed the pins on that board are short compared to my older 512k upgrade uh, board. They still fit in okay and everything. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about how Richard makes his cables is everything is measured out so precisely because I've got Richard's SCART cable and how the RGB RGB feed goes to the bottom of the belly of the cocoa and kind of snakes through the molding. It's like the perfect length where it just fits everything just right. So, yeah. yeah Richard's cables are like spec. Yes. Yeah. And, and this was a spec cable. Um, yeah. The reason why I use the lower uh, pins, Ron, is in the future, I know that... Uh, Ed Snyder is coming out with the Gimme X, and this is this is why I also put these pins on the uh, on the bottom part of the board is because this Gimme X is going to go, it's going to reach out past my CPU. It's going to it's going to be on top and along also with the memory board. So I had mm -hmm. to make it as low as possible so the Gimme X will actually fit on top. So you're thinking of future stuff. Yes. Well, that's uh, because Richard's a perfectionist. Right. <laughs> so yeah, Ed Ed sent me pictures of his Gimme X, and I just wanted to make sure that mine would actually be uh, compatible with it. Yeah. Well, be yeah, so it, it would play nice, and you know, not you'd have to cut anything or make any mods or anything physical modifications. Are these boards made in the U.S. of A? No. No. Nothing's made in the U.S.A. <laughs> it's designed in the U.S.A. It's designed, but no. Uh, making PC boards in the USA is about four times more expensive, if, At least. if not more, yeah. And that's including overseas shipping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Good job, Richard. Good job. Oh. Yeah, you got a customer. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot so, of yeah, people... I'll, I'll, I'll have the link uh, hopefully later on today, because uh, I, I have to head out uh, pretty soon, and... Uh, but I'll, I'll have the link to where all you have to do is you click on it, fill in your credit card information. It's all automated, and uh, it'll be shipped out on Monday. Cool. Very cool. There you go. World premiere, people. Yep. You've, you've seen it here first. You've heard the news. Uh, Rick Adams has joined us. Welcome, Rick. How are you? You're still muted, just so you know. Um, Terry Hello. Steen is muted. Hey, Rick. Hello. Uh, Hiya. I'm late, as usual. That's okay. You're here. Okay. Did, did you catch the uh, two-meg upgrade stuff there, Rick? I think so, yeah. 
Um, Richard Lorbieski, Tim Fadden in the live chat is asking, can you pay via PayPal? Yes, I do accept PayPal and all major credit cards. All major credit cards, just no minor credit cards. So, well, I mean, I, I could I could take Diners Club. Uh, <laughs> no, Discover. seriously, I, I was going to ask about Diners Club. <laughs> yeah, I could take that. Was it JCB? I can take that as well. Do anybody so. have a Diners Club anymore? <laughs> That's really retro. <laughs> <laughs> You're going full retro. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, okay, so that's our big announcement so far. Now, uh, Rick Adams, did you have any project updates that you wanted to fill us in on? Anything you've been working on this week? No, I'm sorry. Uh, same old, same old. Uh, okay. I've, got, I've, got, I've sent out uh, the, un, the unfinished game, as it is, to a couple of people, and they have been so busy they haven't even looked at it yet. So. Oh, I'll make time uh, for you if you send me a copy. Oh, that's right. i I got to send that to you. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, very cool. Excellent. Uh, and we're going to talk about Nick's uh, Gunstar update in a little bit. So I do have, a, I think, a short project update. I, I just can show you guys the latest tweaks I did to Cosmic Aliens. I recorded the video that I'm not going to post to YouTube yet, so it'll be a world premiere here. Just my uh, update 16 on Cosmic Aliens with some minor tweaks. Um, you guys, you guys want to see that, and then we'll take a break? Sure. That work? Okay. So let me make sure. Oh, I have to go back to. Um, I think I have to turn on. Where did you guys go? How do I get back to the call? Hello? <laughs> How do I get back to the call now? Where are you guys? Uh, oh, back to meeting. Here we go. Yeah. Mute your microphones because it will grab the screen away from what um, yes. Stevie is doing. Okay. So yeah, here we go. Don't they have to unshare when, when they uh, get done with their. Uh, their side yeah everybody needs to unshare but then i need to remember to turn my sound back on okay my system my sound sharing is back on tell me tell me if you guys can hear the flush yep you guys hear yep. the flush yep. okay all right yes. so i'm going to minimize you and here's the latest update to coco cosmic aliens hey guys stevie stroh here with a quick update on the latest build of my cosmic aliens which is now going on about a week old um, I did a little bit more tweaks to it this morning. Today is the 20th or 21st, I don't remember. And the last time I made these changes was on the 13th of July. And so this is work in progress. Dot 16. And so let's look at what's new and exciting in this version. It's all subtle. It's all mostly tuning. But one nice thing that you'll see here in just a second is the fact that I finally... I fixed my exclamation point. So the exclamation point is there and it works. And so I want to show you a couple of things here that um, have been tweaked. Number one, you're going to see that the aliens can go all the way as high as the top line now, where before I had limited them to one line lower. And this just had to do with where my shots could be placed on the screen and where I could still be able to erase the shots. And I found if I made my shots go higher, I was then screwing up the top line of the game. And so I had to make all kinds of compromises and, um, and cut a few things off. Um, but I've now tweaked a few things to where the aliens can go all the way to the top of the screen. So it does feel like they've got more space to move about. I've also, once again, allowed the aliens to go all the way to the bottom of the screen. 
and if they reach the bottom they can wrap back to the top but I will not have them wrapping from the top to the bottom because that's completely unfair to have something just come up and hit you in the butt right so um, <clears throat> so they can go all the way down and one of the reasons why I didn't want them going all the way down before was because in the game over loop I had conveniently um, put some text on here that I knew this text would not get destroyed and so another reason why I had done that was to preserve this text but you know what I don't think that's really the end of the world and it does make the aliens look like they're just so destructive that even in the game over mode <laughs> they destroy things and also now because they can come lower the ship is still here somewhere you can't see the ship because I have not um, put the ship on the screen but the ship's coordinates still exist and all these guys do is they check for the coordinates so from time to time these guys will crash into your invisible ship which is right about right between the T and the N I think it's somewhere around there is right where your your ship is so when the alien does crash into your ship it will trigger the explosion it will update the number of ships on your screen and then it'll restart the loop so even though the aliens are um, potentially screwing up the bottom line of text that can be um, periodically refreshed. So let me just show you um, one, the other tweak which has to just do with performance and um, I think I've got my laser shots moving a little tiny bit quicker. So now we're in the main game loop and just a reminder I've recently made it where you can move your ship up and down. I've recently made it where you can steer your shot. But one of the things I feel, and I don't have any way to really track this scientifically, but it feels to me like the laser shot is going up a little faster. Now what I had to do as a compromise here is that the laser actually mentally does go up to the top line here right under the score. So the laser's X and Y coordinates, they make their way that high, but the way I have the routine for when I put the laser on the screen and when I erase the laser on the screen, um, I'm allowing the laser to go mentally higher, but visually you won't see it when it gets to that top one and that fixes the glitch where it would erase the top line where it says wave one and things like that. So before I was just kind of lazy and I said, well, I'm not gonna let it go that high. I went ahead and let it go that high and I said, okay, well now what can I do to, um, to kind of tweak the code for how I place and erase the laser on the screen so I've tweaked that code to where it won't place it when it's um, it won't place it but it will still track it mentally it'll track it for the laser so the laser will know if it hit a ship and since I've let the um, the ships go higher the ships will also know if they hit a laser so if an alien um, happens to sidestep into a laser he'll know it and he'll also um, die because it's all part of the same game logic so just minor tweaks and I, I again I feel like I've got the shot moving a little faster that's about the bulk of it right there um, so not not a lot in the way of new gameplay but just more just tuning and tweaking So that's my project update what I really like about this project update it does prove you can get to level two <laughs> <laughs> all right good on you good I don't on know, you. that could be special effects it needs a rage quit button on it. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I still have to figure out is how to, to disable the break key. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm trying all the stuff from the old pokes and peaks and execs thing, and I haven't um, haven't. So yeah, I uh, have a few people saying uh, 
it looks like it's a little faster and it looks good. All right, thanks, guys. All right, well, man, this is like, this is an extended version of the Brady Bunch right now. Look at all these people up here on the screen. This is amazing, right? We're all here. This is the story of a bunch of old guys. And um, so we're about a half hour in right now. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back and we'll get into our main topic today where we're going to really dig into the cocoa pie and reveal to the world that the cocoa pie is now also the dragon pie too because we're when i say we i mean ron klein is uh, is adding dragon emulation to the cocoa pie as well so it's very cool so uh we'll be right back after a few words here and then we'll get into the dragon pie presentation so don't go anywhere boys and girls hi this is dale leader designer of trs 80 color baseball and you're listening to Coco Talk. And now, these messages. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 color computer, TRS-80 MC-10, and Dragon computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website and download our latest games. What's going on everybody, Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show, we think we put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Computer shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85-megabyte hard drive, only $12.99. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only $899.95. Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior service. Nobody compares. No, nobody compares to Radio Shack. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yes. Okay. And speaking of feedback, I did have that too. I want to read something real quick. We did get an email. I don't know if some of you guys saw it too. So, yeah, we do ask people to send us an email to um, Coco Talk at Coco Talk Live with either feedback or suggestions and stuff. And for those of you who are in Discord, we've got some Discord channels too where people can throw in suggestions on things to talk about, etc. So we got, a, we got an email from uh, James Lowry. And he said, I came across your site and programs, uh, Coco Talk Live, while looking back in time um, and seeing what was out there for the Coco and the Coco 2. So um, I had the privilege of owning one for a while after having a Tandy question mark question mark, and I guess he doesn't remember which one, a smaller unit, pretty much nothing but a membrane keyboard. Actually, he's probably thinking of the uh, MC10. I had a Tandy something. It's smaller with a membrane keyboard and an RF and cassette recorder said, I had a terrific program on it. Once entered correctly, it helped create PCBs for etching to eliminate crossed paths. That's kind of interesting. Anybody ever use PCB software on the Coco? That's a that thing that's um, pretty uh, yeah. avant-garde application there. Yeah, it actually exists. Um, I'll have to dig it up 
but it, I, f- I found it in the archives. Okay. And he said, my, uh, my Coco eventually had four cartridge expansions, two floppies, and a hard drive. I also did some mods for a mono display and sound. Uh, these I did also for some stores who were using the Cocos as a full inventory and point-of-sale system in multiple businesses. I was surprised to see the extent they had these machines used. It was grand, at least for then. Uh, from there, I moved on to the Tandy SX-1000, and I believe soon enough, the next machine I put together myself. Anyway, I was a subscriber to the Rainbow Magazine, and I had contributed an article. I think it was an educational series on programming for various aspects of the Coco. I submitted a program called Joy Zap, demonstrating a simple axis button um, use as well as how it could be built upon. I cannot tell you what month the article was published, but I was wondering if anybody knew who might be able to provide a scan of the cover of the article for me. Uh, thanks, uh, uh, Jay Lowry. And so, uh, and then I think Alan Huffman had responded with that. So I think I'll just, I'll just switch over to that real quick. But Alan Huffman had posted the rainbow that it was in. So anyways, we got, we got somebody who wrote into us and, um, and so that was kind of cool. Uh, what is going on? What, hey, what is, what are you guys talking about? Death Blossom. I heard, I heard that name mentioned twice. What the heck is Death Blossom? I've not heard of that. That's in min- the last Starfighter. Oh, what was that called when it, when the, when he spun around and just blew everything up with that major, yep, a major attack? That was called the Death Blossom. Mm-hmm. Ah, Only okay. For the bravest starfighters willing to stay to the end. Yes. Okay. So all the right moves was the episode. Coco chess, sea war, take uh, talking bingo, and escaping from Tut's tomb. Learn to create high quality games in assembly language. Compare disk files for duplicates. Convert ML into BASIC. Uh. So I guess this is, uh, look at this, it actually says here, the old switcheroo, two, and more. So there was a, there was an old switcheroo on the cover of Rainbow Magazine. What do you, what do you know? So anyways, that was, that was the rainbow. So this was August 1988. Just so if anybody's interested in looking that one up, there you have it. We, we have that to look at. So yeah, so definitely I want to say thank you to uh, James Lowry or Lowry, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name properly, for writing us. Definitely appreciate it. Anybody else see that? Because I went to the Coco Talk email address, and I think that um, spreads out to a few of us. Yeah, they did see it. Yeah, cool stuff. Um, so there you have it. And now what we're going to do here is we're going to switch over to Mr. Ron Klein. I'm going to stop sharing my system sound. Now i got to get used to the software just a little bit here. Uh, where the heck is Ron Klein? Uh, how, how do I make Ron Klein the big one? Spotlight video. Oh, there no. we go. All right. <laughs> Ron Klein. Ignore the mess in the background. You have the spotlight, sir. What I thought would be kind of cool, since I, I believe most people know who you are, Ron Klein, but for the one or two who don't, and shame on them, um, maybe you could just give us a little mini life story, where you came from, where you are, where you're going type of stuff. Oh, gosh. Well, I came from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need explicit details on that part. Yeah. yeah I can't go into how it was created, but I can tell you uh, <laughs> it's a great cook, and that's probably why I'm as big as I am. So, um, <clears throat> But anyway... Uh, I started out with the Coco many years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, his dad worked for Motorola. 
and I'm not sure if there was an employee program at the time, but that's where I saw my first Coco one, a silver 4k one. And, uh, I love the machine going over to his house, seeing the machine. So I, uh, eventually got one. I didn't get one until it was a Coco two. And I started out with a 16 K Coco two, eventually got floppy disk drives, things like that. And, you know, we're talking, this was just around, uh, uh, maybe just before high school. Um, Steve, you know, I'm just about as old. Well, I am as old as you, uh, just turned 51 this year. So in any case, I uh, had the machine up until um, the Coco 3 came out, but I never did get a Coco 3. I was strictly Coco 2, but I had it expanded with MPI, floppy drives, things like that. At 18 years old, I uh, had various jobs. I liked cars and I wanted to have money to build cars. So I had multiple jobs that I wound up finding at that time, a local Radio Shack computer center that was uh, selling just the computers, not, not the regular storefront. And I worked there for just over a year uh, doing the inside sales. And of course, at that time, the Tandy 1000 was just uh, being made available. So a lot of that was uh, building and configuring those for customers. And uh, they did have the Coco 3 in there, but of course, nobody was promoting that. It was all their business machines, you know, Xenex, their 6000 series machine. And uh, I, I had a really good time with it. And then like a lot of other people, I upgraded to a PC compatible, uh, a 1000 and got away from the cocoa and actually sold everything I had. And it wasn't until um, some years down the road that I was on eBay and I acquired a bunch of stuff back when it was cheap. And then that went into storage for a number of years. And then maybe four years ago, uh, I started to unbox some things after I did a move. And, um, you know, John Linville started doing his podcast and that kind of got me, well, like a lot of other people, it got us interested in, in the cocoa again. And uh, that kind of got me started back in the community. So it was very neat to see that some of the, the names I had heard, which I thought when I was a kid are still actually around today. And I'm, I'm not young. So it's a lot of these guys are still around. And I think it's great. So um, that's kind of the background of, of my color computer uh, history. So cool. Yep. As and what, as, what do you do for a living now? What do I do for a living? I work in IT. Uh, that was never my intended thing. I, I thought I would be spinning wrenches, a mechanic, or actually as a very young kid, I, uh, I like drawing. I like comics. I um, did a lot of illustrating and things like that. At one point, I thought I wanted to work for Disney as an illustrator. And I still do some stuff on the side tinkering, but um, I enjoy doing that so much. I didn't know if I wanted to do that necessarily for a living. And the IT thing just kind of fell into my lap, you know, being around computers. And I credit, like a lot of people, the Coco for getting, you know, me started down that path. And fortunately, my folks, uh, you know, had a little bit of money at that time to help get my first one. And, you know, that's that's what really got me started. So IT, I'm still doing it today. Uh, anyone that's been in IT for a long time knows that there's been a lot of changes with regards to outsourcing, offshoring, everything else. So it's been a real challenge. But... Uh, you know, I hope I can get a few more years in because I'm not close to retirement yet. And uh, so that's what I do today. Excellent. I know, I know you're Italian and you love spaghetti and you got some spaghetti behind you there. Is that a server? Yeah, I have a lot of stuff. There is, yeah. well, the story about the basement is I never, we never finished it and I didn't know where I wanted the racks and or whatever I had. So I 
I ran a bunch of extra cable knowing that one day I could maybe move it and then I would shorten the cable. So yes, it, it <laughs> looks like a disaster. And that's just a small part of the basement. It's a pretty big basement. Yeah. You know, fortunately I, uh, I kind of pretty much run the place down here. So the wife just throws me food once in a while. And, um, <laughs> here's a bathroom now it's, it's roughed in, but I, I don't have it finished yet. So. That's so, cool. They'll yep. be running a commercial soon so you can go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, drink a lot of water, so that would help. Yep. What what is the origins of the color computer emulation running on the Raspberry Pi? Because one of the things you wanted to make sure too is you're not you're not taking any credit for anything, but you've been kind of the guy who's been putting all this together and making it a project. But what, where did yeah. the origins of color computer emulation on the Raspberry Pi come from? Well, the Raspberry Pi has just been an interesting project. You know, these single board computers, I, I started years ago. And, of course, I love emulation, video games, everything else. And um, there was a project out there called RetroPie. Many of us have heard of it. And it's, uh, it's a distribution that targets um, not only vintage computer systems, but uh, old console home systems and even some arcade systems and that's that's a great project so i was interested in seeing if we could get a coco to run on it and what i found is that the versions of main that they include with that distribution are quite old there's actually multiple versions they support but they're they're older and over the years there's been um enhancements made to main especially around the coco emulation where you know sound card support's been added bug fixes there's just numerous things so I'm like, okay, let me see if I can get a, the latest version of MAME to run. And what I found is there really isn't any pre-built images of the latest versions of MAME. So there was another project out there by a gentleman who was doing the compiling of MAME for the ARM architecture for the Raspberry Pi. Chucky Hobnob was his, uh, Steve Boswell is the guy's name. And I give him a lot of credit for for doing a lot of the work with regards to getting the latest versions of MAME to compile. But I still found there was a lot of performance issues. You wouldn't think uh, a Coco would be so hard to emulate at, at full speed on a platform like the Raspberry Pi, considering it can run some pretty impressive things, but it is. And um, so I, I learned how to do the compiling myself from his project. I started with Raspbian, which is a Linux distribution that is for the Raspberry Pi. So I didn't start with RetroPie as a base. And from there, I got the compiling working. Then I started working on performance tweaks, all based on the Raspberry Pi 3. The Raspberry Pi, the original one and the two just aren't capable of doing it. Um, you needed video hardware acceleration, which is part of the Raspberry Pi 2 and the SDL 2 libraries, but uh, it's still not fast enough. So in any case, that's what led me down the path of coming up with uh, a distribution that was focused on the Coco and the latest version of MAME. That grew into looking at all the other projects that people have been working on with regards to the Coco, including other emulators like XROAR um, that started morphing into the development tools that the community has provided. There's so many good people out there that have done so much stuff. And again, Steve, you had mentioned it. I don't take credit for any of it. I just tried to get it all on the Raspberry Pi. And it was mainly just for me, um, but I figured I would share it if, if others were interested. So that's 
that was the origins of the project, getting Coco emulation to work on the latest versions of MAME and even XWAR, but at full speed. And uh, all the other things like the development part of it and some of the other features that have been added like drive wire and things, that's again, all community things. But I figured, you know what, if it runs on the Pi and, it's, and it works, I'm gonna add it, somebody may be interested in it. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a kitchen sink of of ancillary services running on here, which hopefully we're going to, we're going to scratch the surface of some of them. We're not going to, we're not going to cover everything, but we're going to show you the fun stuff and the, and the shiny, pretty stuff, but we'll show you some of the tech stuff behind the scenes too. Here's a great, here's a great synopsis that Bruce Moore put in the live chat. He says, Ron is the Steve jobs of the raspberry Pi. He takes all the good technologies and packages them together in a user-friendly manner. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about user-friendly yet. <laughs> you know, I added a very simple menu to a lot of things, but but honestly, there is a little bit of Linux background that would be very helpful in this regard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I try. And, it, you know, I if people give me feedback, I'll be happy to incorporate it into the project. I try to, you know, to the best of my ability. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, well, that's a good introduction. Let, let me let me do this now. I'm going to show people kind of where to go to get the Raspberry Pi, and then and then we'll take it from from there. So one of the first things you can do is if you go to uh, my website, which is uh, when I say my website, it's a community website, but I have a website I throw together called I'mACoconut.com, which I do mention on this show, right? And you still hear people saying, if only there was a website that we could go to that would have information about the color computer. Yes. And so on, on the I'mACoconut.com site, if you go to downloads, a little bit down here on the download page, it says Ron Klein's Cocoa Pie 3 image, and there's three links. So there's one link that you can download directly from my site. There's a second U.S. link that points to Rick Adams' hosting of the project, and there's a third link that points to Simon Jonasson's hosting of it, which is running on a one gigabit fiber connection, too. So anybody in Europe can get a high-speed download of that. So you got three different mirror sites to download the thing. When you click on one of those links, you get a page like this. It's a very simple page, but in the top left-hand corner is the zip file you could download. So it's basically distributed as an image that you download the zip file, you extract the zip file, you then need to quote-unquote burn that image to a micro SD with your imaging software of choice, right? Am I doing a good job so far, Ron? Yes, perfect. Okay, yep. and then Ron Klein also has a link to one that you can run on Windows from sourceforge.net projects win32 disk imager so if you run windows there is a very user-friendly gui tool that i'm using to take his image and burn it to the sd card and then you pop that sd card into your uh, raspberry pi 3 and you boot it up and you're in coco pi right and then there's also a document that ron has been updating too it's a google doc so if you click on the link there is a more than fair share of documentation on the project that you can look at and it gets into a lot of the things that are on here. This also has the three links listed where you can download it from. It's going to be getting into some of the features and the different versions of MAMES and the ability to support the 6309 CPU. The fact that we're now supporting XROAR and Brett Gordon's YDOS. And there's just so much stuff on here. So there is, a, there is a document. There's a living document that will get updated as you continue to update the project. And this also gets into a lot of the features and how to get into the administration and the maintenance of the stuff and all kinds of stuff. So all that stuff is there, right? 
And so what that is going to take us to right now is an actual live demo where I am going to fire up the Raspberry Pi. And then, Ron, you're going to take us, take us through a tour of the system right now. Maybe what I should do, too, for, for maybe anybody who's never seen a Raspberry Pi system, I'll just bring my camera up real big, too, and I'll show you my little thingy before oh, oh by the way we need, i need to turn that off that's we're not ready to show that yet okay Steve, are, you, yeah. are you gonna make your screen bigger yeah yeah no you need to you need to click on me actually let me do that let me let me do that let's go back you there guys need you guys need to click on me to make me big now i think yeah. all right I'm so plenty big enough i could be smaller yeah all right so here's my raspberry pi 3 and mine's in a clear case I think this is the one you recommended i get ron and this and this came with this was a kit i bought so it's the raspberry pi 3 had a couple of heat sinks. Um, I don't remember if this one came with the clear case or if I bought the case separately, but then it also had the little power, the USB power charger thing. And this was, I think, about $35 for the Raspberry Pi, and then I bought the case for I don't know how much, right? So this is what a Raspberry Pi 3 looks like if nobody's ever seen one. It's got USB ports. It's got an Ethernet port. It's got on the back here, it's got an HDMI connection that I'm going to use, and then it's also got a little micro USB doohickey that you use to give it power. So that this is the actual system and these things go for about $35-ish and you could probably look around and find them on sale from time to time, right? Um, so I'm gonna plug it in. Can you guys see my screen? Yes. Okay. And I, I'm right now I'm not I'm not doing anything fancy like Bluetooth. I'm plugging in like a Logitech wireless keyboard mouse combo into the USB port. It gets the job done. I'm now going to apply power. I see and Jim asking if it has to be a Pi 3. Yes, Jim, it does. It, the two and the, the original aren't, um, the performance isn't there. Uh, the latest version of the distribution I'm, I'm setting up will work with the 3B Plus now, which is the latest version of Raspberry Pi. Um, the, the reason I mention that is because when you go to purchase it or anyone that's interested, there's really no additional cost to go up to the, the faster model. Now, there's pros and cons, I, I've heard, but um, it'll work on both. So you're welcome, Jim. All right, so this is this is the Raspberry Pi booting up. And once it's booted up, it's done. Now, there's a bunch of things going on here. Like this, you notice it's starting Samba. Samba is a Microsoft share. So it makes this very easy once you get it on your home network, wired or wireless, where you can... Uh, Ron's created a file share where you can drag contents over to the to the to the Pi um, through through the network. I'm just making it really a no-brainer. You don't have to worry about putting stuff on your uh, SD card or you know managing files. It's 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 just designed to be super easy, right? So we're looking at the main menu right now, and. Uh, and so we noticed that we have Color Computer 2 menu, which the default the default emulator is MAME, correct? Yes, MAME is the was the primary focus, um, but I wanted to add XOR because it can run under Linux and it works compiled as an ARM binary. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to add it. It's a good emulator for Coco One Two and Dragon emulation. Absolutely. Yep. So, um, so, so that you can you can choose to run a Coco Two either in MAME or in XOR. We've got a Coco three menu and this is the new stuff here that we're that we kind of want to reveal today is that now coco pie is also supporting dragon right so we've got dragon emulation via mame and we've got dragon emulation 
via XROAR. And so when you first boot up, this is kind of the first menu you see. You can choose if you want Coco 2, you can choose if you want Coco 3. It's even got an MC10. Steve Bjork is going to be happy about that. Um, <laughs> And it's got Dragon Menus. Now, the Dragon Menu, is it's a new feature, so it's kind of a work in progress. So there's a little bit more to be done, like with the software library and stuff, but it's here. Yep. And then we got a bunch of utilities. So what should I show first? Should I just fire up a Coco 2 and show them how easy it is to, lo to load a game or a piece of software in here? Coco 2. Now, the thing to keep in mind, these menus were designed for what I like, but anyone can modify these things. Now, when I say that, you know, I, I encourage people to, to make changes however they want. But again, there's a little bit of a skill set needed with regards to Linux, uh, just to know how to edit scripts and things like that. Okay, so I'm going to fire up Coco 2. And then look at all the choices we have, right? We've got a Coco 2 with just disk extender color basic or what we'd call RS DOS, right? We've got uh, HDB DOS running DriveWire. We've got RGB DOS with a hard drive image already mounted. We've got, is it pronounced YDOS or YADOS? I don't know if Brett would have to answer that. I call okay. it YDOS, but it would, yeah. We've got one that also supports the speech and sound cartridge over a multi-pack interface. So if you wanted to play the two or three games that take advantage of the, of the music, that's there. But let's just try like a real simple RS-DOS Coco 2. So when you hit enter, it has fired up the cocoa and then boom, it's in full screen. And that loaded up pretty quickly, right? It load faster. That first initial load of MAME, uh, it, the Raspberry Pi, the operating system, it caches things. So it, it'll be a little bit faster even uh, the next time. Okay. And now this is using all the MAME built-in menus and GUIs, right? So you hit the tab key. Correct. This brings up the MAME GUI menu. And now if I wanted to load software, I'd go down here to File Manager and hit Enter. And if I wanted to load, for example, a floppy disk, I would hit that. And then the cool feature is this right here, this software list. So when you go to open a disk, and this is part of MAME, is this built into MAME? It is, it's part of MAME. And what happened is with, with the distribution now, MAME includes references to two or three software titles only. Um, working with, uh, I always, pronounce his name wrong, but Gulamain from the uh, TRS-80 Color Computer Archive site. He was so nice and allowed me to um, have an archive of some popular titles. And I actually worked with him to create an XML generator that MAME uses uh, to add and create the software list. So if you click on that, mm -hmm. uh, the software list, it, it comes up and it says, okay, we want to look at color computer disk images. And select that. Boom, look at all these. These all come from the archive. And the way MAME has this set up with their software list, uh, it is smart enough to know if you are in a, if you chose Color Computer 2 or 3, so it'll only show uh, disk titles that are compatible with that. And the idea behind it is if you click on one of these, it will um, mount that disk image into Drive Zero automatically. Okay, and then I just hit Tab to get out. Yep. And then if, and if I type in DIR, Yep, and it'll show that title. Right. I can load an exec. I'm hearing a little bit of static on the sound right now. Yeah, that unfortunately for disk I.O., that is a main thing that we're working on with the Raspberry Pi. It doesn't do it for everything. Sometimes it comes and goes. Um, but the regular audio all works okay. There we go. Now... I don't have a joystick connected to this right now, but you can see here how easy it was to load that up, right? 
And that was yeah, a- let me let me mention that real quick about controllers. Um, so it's going to take this main's going to take advantage of any controller that you have connected to the Raspberry Pi. So for example, I have uh, I've experimented with some Bluetooth controllers, and Nintendo makes a um, Bluetooth one called the Nintendo Pro Controller. I'm not advocating buying it, but what I'm uh, mentioning is the fact that that controller has digital and analog controls all on the same controller and that's actually kind of handy for some software titles uh, so if anyone has a USB controller a Bluetooth controller um, those will all work with with MAME so any any controller you want so well, that's good. for the ones I've tried yes yeah that's for the ones I've tried now, MAME does support using joysticks using the key arrow keys and stuff. Does that support it in the Google Pi? Yes. Mm-hmm. You'd have to bring up the GUI menu and just remap the input. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm hearing some really wonky static noise that's, right now while I was loading it. Only time that they're static with the Raspberry Pi with this, it's the disk I.O. And it's not drive wire disk I.O. It's the built-in... The built-in I- MAME disk I.O., huh? Yes. Yep. It doesn't do it in XOR. It doesn't do it... Um, Again, using drive wire. Okay, so it's pretty easy to fire up a Coco 2, go to the file menu, go to load, go to software library, and pull up a list of a lot of software that's already baked into the image. All right, so it just you know, if you just wanted to play Coco 2 games right now, you've got a Coco 2 and you got a lot of software already here preloaded, right? And people that are used to using MAME, I mean, this is really no different than regular MAME on your on a regular workstation. Um, mm-hmm. Just we wanted to get it. I wanted to get it running on a Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Right. So, does anybody have any questions on just fi- basic emulation, firing up a Cocoa and launching a disk image? Is everybody cool with that? Is is uh, speed throttling supported too? Where if your Pi three can emulate probably a Cocoa two faster than Cocoa three, that you can run some stuff faster. Yeah, so with the way MAME is by defaulting is it's trying to run it at, at rated speed. The only option I would have with MAME is to run it with a no throttle command, which says run it as fast as you can without any uh, throttling to make it accurate, you know, emulation accurate. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use that on games per se, but if you're doing like, you know, development or something on it yes. natively, then it's handy. It's, that is extremely handy because your disk I.O., the, the emulated disk I.O., not drive wire, but everything else, it's all faster. Everything is faster. Yep. Bruce Moore is asking, can we use the Raspberry Pi to get the world record on Donkey Kong? <laughs> That's <laughs> <Billy> Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, um, here, here I'm going to show the same thing. Now I'm going to go to File Manager, mm-hmm. and this time I'm going to go to Cartridge, and then I'm going to go to Software List, and then Tandy Radio Shack Cartridges. And then boom, we've got a bunch of the different cartridges. Like, like, like who, who would not want to see Dungeons of Daggerath, right? You hit enter, and then boom. I've just booted up the Cocoa with a cartridge. How hard was that? Right? And so one of the questions was, is the software included in the image? Is the Cocoa game software included? That- so that's, that's an interesting thing. So a lot of this is available online. We all know it. Um, for the distribution, I have personally, obviously, I copy those files and add it. What I've done is provide instructions on where the software needs to get copied to on the Pi. And that includes the ROM images needed uh, for emulation on the various Cocoa systems. I can't 
I don't know if anyone would say anything, so I do not include it with the distribution I place on the People in the community want to get a hold of me on the side. I'm, I'm happy to help them point them to where they can get the stuff and how to install it. It's not hard to do. And um, I, again, I'm just happy to help if, uh, if someone has any questions on that. I do provide instructions within the documentation as well. And, and most of us in the community, you know, Steve's put a lot of good links out there with regards to POCO information with regards to like where the archives at, things of that nature. So it's pretty accessible to get these titles. And isn't that kind of some of the agreements of MAME, if you're gonna distribute MAME that you can't technically distribute yeah. you know, ROMs I'm with not it? I'm a lawyer, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express once, but yeah. I, I, <laughs> I just didn't wanna take a chance with that. So that, that's why I don't include those. Gotcha. But that means you don't include the ROMs and you don't include the software, you have to get both on your own? Uh, the cartridges I've included because those are um, part of the mains distributing that with some of their stuff. But the ROM images needed for the uh, the bio, like your basic ROMs and things like okay. that, I do not include those. No. And but it's, uh, will, you, will you support the uh, when VCC gets converted? Apparently, it's been uh, it has been patched to work under Linux and the Mac. Uh, will you be uh, making that available on the Cocoa Pie? Nick, I'd be happy to. The one thing I, you got to keep in mind with any of the with the emulators running on, and this is a this is actually very important. I'm glad you mentioned this. Um, I am not using X Windows on the Raspberry Pi. It's there. It's part of Raspbian. But when you see these emulators come up, they're compiled for direct console access using the SDL libraries. So when I compiled XWAR, it's using that. When I compile MAME, it's using that. They they are not GUI based apps per se so if vcc is um something that i can compile for console output only uh i'd be happy to try it that doesn't mean it couldn't run under x windows possibly on the raspberry pi but i was going for as much performance as i can get and um i i don't know if it would run at a good speed but i'm i'm happy to try it i'm happy to try it out Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question, but I think it's probably too soon to be asking the question because even though they're they're working on cross-platform, it's still got things to go before it's really a viable, completely functional emulator. I'd say you know, there's 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 artifacting issues, there's gimme issues, there's sixty-three oh nine issues. You know, so I know I know VCC is on its way to getting there, but today it's not there. Um, can we see some dragon? Do what? Can we see some dragon? Yeah, we can see yeah, some so dragon. That, that is just being started now, Ron. So it's I, I'm literally just adding the support for that. It, it, it's all been built into MAME and XWAR. It's just I'm adding it to the menus. Right. So and, which one would you... So when we hit dragon menu or dragon menu XROAR? XROAR. Uh, dragon menu is strictly for MAME. And uh -huh. what I did is I just looked at the available dragon drivers that are in MAME and added those to the menu. I haven't done any configuring with regards to software list support or I guess even adding the uh, floppy disk drive yet, but I'll, I'll get to that. All right, I'll just, I'll just pull up the menu to see what our options are. So right now we've got Dragon 32, Dragon 64, Dragon 64 Plus, Dragon 128 Beta. Um, let's see what we have under Dragon menu for XROAR. Ooh, this one's a lot longer. Okay, so in XROAR we've got Dragon 32, Dragon 64, Dragon 200E. Not even familiar with that one. We've got a Tano Dragon. That's our that's our American version of that. We can mount a disc. We can 
mount a cassette, mount a bin, mount a ROM. Can select what version. Uh, this is what I like here. How you've added these attract modes. Now, are these ready to show? Is this attract mode able to the be shown right now? And uh, Dragon are not available yet. Okay. And, uh, I do want to talk about a few of these things. So, the Dragon versions that you see there are what's available on XWare. I just literally looked at what was being supported and added those to the menu. Um, the reason you see a mount disc, mount cassette, bin ROM. Those options in MAME are built in through MAME's built-in menu. And, and we all saw Steve when he went through and, and did the floppy disk and cartridge support. It is built into XOR, but if you use the GUI version, and since we're not running the GUI version of XOR, there is no built-in menu for uh, XOR the way I'm running it. So basically, these are quick ways for you to mount a disk image or any of those prior to, to launching um, the emulator. And then when you go into the emulator, it, they will be available. Um, I'm talking to uh, Karen on the side to find out if there is a way to do it. I don't know. You know, he's got a lot going on, and that that would probably be a pretty big project to add it. So this was kind of my way of getting around that for now. All right, but just to boot into a Dragon, boom! I'm here, and I'm actually in Dragon DOS right now. And so. If you and if you hit now, is this, were you on the main this, menu? This is in MAME, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't think I have any Dragon software on there, and I'm not sure if it'll mount a regular, you could try. I don't know if it'll mount a regular disk. Well, so when we go to software list and we go to Dragon DOS diskettes, this is the cool part here is that all of the software is already pre-populated by MAME to recognize what to look right. for. We just need to add the images to this to make it work, right? Correct. So. Correct. And from the from the looks of this, there is just a spit ton of Dragon software on disk, no less. And I'm sure like on cassette and everything too, there's going to be an even bigger library, right? So Easy Adventure Writer, Flagonbird, Fourth uh, OS. So yeah, so this is this is kind of new. The fact that you've added the Dragon, but in the near future, we'll have the Dragons, and then um, they'll be able to copy the software images over to here. And um, and be able to load Dragon software up on the same Cocoa Pie image, right? Yes, that is correct. And that's very cool. So, how about we show off something on a Cocoa Three? Oh, Quick sure. question and from I'll, Bruce I'll in the chat. Yeah, I'll answer Bruce's question. So, Bruce, okay. what happens is on the Pie, there's uh, there's various ways to get software installed. Um, for the Windows users, there is a Windows Share uh, via what's called Samba in the in the Unix world. And you yeah, can I actually can, drag I can files yeah. into it. Yep. Let, me, let me show that off right now, okay? If I go to network on my computer right now, uh, and this is Windows 10, here's my Raspberry Pi. So my Raspberry Pi shows up like another computer on my network. Mm -hmm. If I double-click that, there's a, sh there's a thing that's called Share One. And inside Share One... This is where you can go to ROMs. This is where you can fill in like all your Cocoa ROMs. So if you've got ROMs, if you're already running emulators on your PC, you've already got the ROMs and you can just copy them here, right? Correct. Yep. So here's where you go to ROMs. I'm not even sure what half these other folders are for. Well, if it looks a little small. Let me see if you can, can you expand that window a little? Uh, okay, so they're bigger now. So I've got ROMs, I've got archive, ASM, Carts, yep. cassette, There's, docs. Uh, and you're using a um, development version I have, but uh -huh. like the software folder, that's that's for MAME. If you go in there, you're going to see um, 
where we put the images in for the cocoa and for the MC10. Okay, cocoa cart, cocoa floppy. Yep. yep. MC10. All standard name, all standard name stuff. Yes. Wow. And so I'm imagining that in the MC10. How about we fire up an MC10 and let's look at some, is this all Jim Gary stuff in here? Yes, and I got permission from him as well. He was very, very generous with that. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I don't always update it, but he uh, Coco he floppy. So if you had floppy disks, again, you get these from the Color Computer Archive, and then you would drag them in here. You yes. don't even have to change the names. You just throw the zip files in here, and then, uh, and this has an HDMI output, right? So it's automatically yep. connecting to a modern TV. You have done some things to force the aspect ratio to a four by three ratio. You're doing like a, a 1024 yeah. by 768 yeah. VGA resolution, right? Yeah, yep. um, and that's all for performance, uh, basically. Right. There's options within the Raspberry Pi at mm -hmm. the hardware, well, OS level, where you can tell it to uh, run at a certain resolution, things like that. that. Again, it's all for performance reasons. This is what RetroPie um, did not do. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's great. It's just when I was trying to get these Cocoa um, drivers to run at rated speed, I, I really had to do some tweaks to get it to work. Yep, yep. So you could load your own disks in here. And so if you just went in... And where, like, so if somebody wanted to load custom software and have their own disk images, what, what folder would they put them in here under share one? Well, under share one, if they want to create their own folder called projects, that's fine too. The yeah. thing is that you have the XML software list support, and then you can have your own where you can just browse the file system. Oh, you know what? I'm not showing that off though. I'm, nobody else is seeing what I'm showing off here. I don't know why. Or were they? They weren't. Nobody else was seeing that. I'm an oh, idiot. Oh, okay. There yeah, sorry about that. There's the folder. Sorry about that. I'm I'm scrolling through stuff on my screen. That's so let me what I was looking for too when I asked. Yeah. yeah. So here we go. So here's the thing, right? So right, this is my Windows 10 PC, um, and my Raspberry Pi shows up on the network as just Raspberry Pi. When I double click that, these are the shares, right? The shares come through kind of large, and then here, this one here is called Share One, mm -hmm. and then Share One are these other folders, right? Yep. And so yep. these are the different folders. This is where one folder is called ROMs. And this is where you would put in all the ROMs for like your BIOSes, like all your, your, um, your disk extended color basic, your color yes. basic, your, your, all those things, right? So this is yep. where the ROMs go to run the Cocoa, right? So you got your Cocoa, your Cocoa 2Bs, your Cocoa 3s, your Cocoa 3s with the Hitachis. You've even got Dragons in here, yeah, I think, right? Yeah, there's a couple other things in there too. Uh, the, um, the Becker port and... But we won't talk about those. <laughs> right. All right. So the ROM folder is where you would have to populate this with ROMs over your network. And I'm, I'm browsing my Raspberry Pi. My Raspberry Pi is connected to my home Wi-Fi. And we'll show you how to set that up with an easy-to-use um, menu. And Nick Morota says we need a Cocoa Do bin in Canada, right? So, um, so we have ROMs um, in the uh, carts folder this is where the zip files would go this is all your ccc files for your color computer cartridges mm -hmm. all right so those are there then those again you'd have to populate that through uh through cassette there's a handful of uh cassette images here um in uh what else am i looking for you said software in the yeah, soft in the software folder Yes, that's for MAME. This is for MAME. So this is where you would populate that list that shows up in the MAME uh, software list library, right? Correct. So there's one called Cocoa Flop. And when you double-click that, these would be where you would drag in all the zip images for your floppy disks. 
And I guess the file naming convention needs to match what MAME is going to expect, right? Yeah, so how it works is with MAME's built-in menu, you can browse your operating system anywhere to pull a file up. If mm -hmm. you want it available in that software list feature, there's a corresponding entry you need in what's called that XML file. And for people that might be interested in, in having their software titles in that XML file, I've actually written an XML generator where you can point to a directory and it will read those software titles and it will add it to the XML file. It's probably more we want to get into on this show right now, but it's yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Yep. So yep. we have a folder for cartridges. We've got a colder folder for floppies. We've got cocoa carts, cocoa floppies. We've got the yep. MC 10 folder, and this has got a lot of Jim Gary software on here. So, um, cause I don't know anybody else who makes software for the MC 10. So, <laughs> um, so it's fairly easy to then find your Raspberry Pi on your network and fill in disk images and ROM images so you can, um, you can get the system up and running. So I'm going to switch back to the uh, Cocoa Pi now here for just a second. And then I think we're, uh, we're not done, but I think maybe we'll take a commercial break here. But I just out of curiosity, I haven't seen what the MC10 looks like, right? So when I oh, hit sure. MC10... And, and what I did, because um, I, I kind of had Jim in mind, even though we haven't talked about this um, emulator itself, is I wanted the 4K version and the 20K version. I know he does development where um, maybe that's something he needs. It's just basically a command line option in MAME. Mm -hmm. What I would like to see for future use, but it, it's not there yet in MAME, uh, I've been talking to some developers on the side, is adding Darren's MCX128 uh, support. Oh, neat. That, yes, it's it's available in the VMC10 emulator for Windows. It's not available in um, in MAME yet, but I'm hoping we'll get to that point. Okay. All right, so now I'm in MC10, and because this is in MAME, yes. if I go to File Manager, uh -huh. and then now my only option here is Cassette. That's correct. Okay, and so now I'm going to go to Software List. And then Tandy MC10 cassettes. And yep. then this is basically, so these are all the names here, right? So Auto That's Klondike, correct. Auto Run, Backup, Bandit. Um, so I'm just going to try Bandit. I have no idea what Bandit is. And then just go back now. Yes. And then what you have to do, I think you have to do a C, boy. I, uh, is it C load? Because these are all. If it's basic, it should be C load, I think. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how to get the backspace to work on MAME, so just see load. And then and how long? And you got to go, you got to hit tab. This is a MAME thing. I think there's a cassette control. Where is it? It's there. Uh, hold on. Cassette, bandit, cassette. No, there's a thing where you go back to the main menu. Yeah, he had it. Ron, you've already done this with the cassette? Yeah. Oh, okay. You have to actually. Tape control. Yeah, there tape you go. control. Play. There we go. <laughs> you actually have to play the tape. Yeah, you have to hit the play um, button, just like yes. this. You have to stop yes. it, too, I think. And so, there's a way, and actually, guys, there is a way in MAME that you can automate some of that from the command line. And I'm actually okay. So when, when it stops blinking, we'll know that it's loaded? Yeah, yeah and the playing counter will also game. finish, too. Oh, that's oh, so it's, it has to reach position 23. There you go. There you are. Okay. Oh, that's yep. that's kind of cool. Interesting. So now it's just run. If yep. I type in list, I should see his whole program. Yep. All right, here's his program. Big-ass program. Hit run. Do you want sound? Of course I do. Please wait. 
Bandit by Jim Gary. Hit space yes. to begin. He keeps the MC oh, tunnel line. Oh, look at this. Jane, they're both doing great work on this thing. Hit space to spin. Oh, now it's doing it. Boom, 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 boom. Three bells wins. Six dollar. We'll have to look see how that. fast this goes with James Diffendaffer's modified basic, too. Yes. Yeah, right? And if there's a way to get that ROM, if he ever... Uh, I'd like to try to incorporate that as well, if he's if he's willing. So not only can this run a Coco, it can run a um, MC10. It can run a Dragon. Uh, it's pretty cool. Was so, this 4K? Yeah, was. No, I think I loaded up the 20. Oh, I loaded the 4K one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's look at some. Actually, let's do this. We're going to look at some Coco 3 stuff, and we're going to look at some tech stuff. But before we do that, I am going to go ahead and just play a commercial. And I'm going to let a, a, a little bit longer commercial break run that way in case anybody's got to go take a potty break or whatever else. Because we've been on the air now for about an hour and a half. All right. Does that sound good, everybody? Yep. Yep. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back. We'll look at some Coco 3 stuff on the Coco Pie, and we'll look at some more behind-the-scenes tech stuff, too, because it's a really cool project so nick marota is asking for us to play the coco do commercial unfortunately it's in a playlist i have no idea where we are in the playlist so it's luck of the draw if we get lucky we'll have coco do so we'll be back in just a moment thank you ron thank you everybody else we'll be back hi this is rick adams and i'm the author of uh, temple of bronze shanghai and now bomb threat and you're listening to steve stroke on coco talk We'll return after these announcements. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. David Ladd. Crickets. Coco de c'est le coq champion des micro et dans le pion. Pour le jeu, il est pas papa. Les études, c'est pas bizarre. L'expansion, il en va pas. Les commandes, tu vas voir ça. Notre coco est programmable. Pour tes cours, c'est bien serviable. Coco de ne rien j'attends. Un ordinateur couleur, quelle personnalité Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. We will return after these messages.
Introducing a computer that can change the way you work. The new Tandy 1000, complete with deskmate software for easy-to-use word processing, filing, worksheets, scheduling, communication. Brought to you by Tandy, clearly we superior for service, that. support, and software. It's a low commercial. Available at Radio Shack Computer Center. Low volume commercial. So affordable. Tandy technology, service, and support are clearly superior. All right. Well, we are back. Welcome back, everybody. So we are going to continue our look into the Cocoa Pie project. So what we've seen so far, we've seen a little bit about Cocoa 2 emulation. We've seen a little bit of Dragon emulation. We've seen some MT10 emulation. But the question in everyone's mind is, will this thing be a Cocoa 3? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. And so we've got a Cocoa 3 with Disk Extender Color Basic. We've got HGB DOS. We've got RGB DOS, Yaw DOS. How about Nitrous 9 and DriveWire? Now, this is not the ease of use project. We've got Fuzzix on here, too. We've got Speech Sound Pack. We've got the Game MasterCard. Oh, the Nitrous 9, 6309 with Nitrous 9 Alpha. Is now, this the ease of use one? Yes, but let me uh, mention that I do not include the disk image for that because that project's kind of being controlled. That's that's yeah. part of my, my, you know, my development testing. But you have it just for showing off. The, the okay. next version, it'll become public, so you can start including it if you want. Oh, I would ask. Yep. Before. Uh, we... Do I need to make sure DriveWire is running on this thing right now, or do we know if it's no, already running? No, that one. I think that one. Uh, go ahead and click on that. Let's see. All right. Let's see. So we're gonna go ahead and fire up uh, Coco Three with Nitros Nine, or not. Type in DOS. Oh, okay. Yep. There's that. Uh, this guy. Oh. Yeah. That noise is horrible. Sounds like a slowed down EMP. Nitrous 9, level 3, color computer. Yep. Ease of use, edition, alpha 3, influx. You can now hit clear to another window while they load. Loading 49 fonts, plus graphics pointers and graphics patterns, etc. When this is done, will it just take me back to a prompt again? Okay. Yep. Okay. If you wish to change the monitor type, you can type in GUI from the G shell. Okay, what should I do here? If you wish to change the monitor type, you can type it from the GUI G shell, or you can type monotype minus X, where you can replace X or C with composite or RGB, or M with monochrome. Do I need to do anything here, Curtis, or is this good to go as it is? Yeah, you can just type G shell if you want. G shell. And I'm using the little mouse trackpad on my Logitech keyboard mouse combo. And I'm moving a mouse around very fluidly. Yeah, that does look really good. Yeah. I like the icons. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where you're going to drag everything right down here to the trash because that's what no, no, OS 9 is all about, right? Oh, that's so. Nick's permanent Nitrous yeah, 9 storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do I do next? I'm going to click on DD, the drive, I guess. The top one, the DD? Yeah. All right, BBS, commands. Demos. Demos. Or games or whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll try demos. 
And you know, this ease of use project has been great because this is going to allow people to get exposed to Nitrous Night and not have to know how to balance rather all the installs and boot yep. this and everything else. I mean, that's the great part about it. Plus, you're bundling some really good stuff on this. So. When you are done viewing a demo, press the enter key several times, it says. OS9 Level 2 by Kevin Darling. This is all written in basic, by the way. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Yeah, it's got layers, huh? So you got the Mona Lisa in front of things. Yeah, it's using page flipping, actually. Yeah, yeah for whatever reason, the bouncing ball demo was an important benchmark of this time. Yep. So Started with the Amiga and then went to the Atari ST and the Mac, PC, and Coco, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So it was pretty easy to get into uh, Nitrous 9. It was pretty easy to get into a GUI. And now I'm back here to the demos. And if I want to go back one level, how do I go back one? You can either uh, click on the drive again to go to the root, or you can click that little close box beside DD Demos, and it'll go back. Okay. It's kind of tricky getting it lined up just right yeah, now. Yeah, this is low-res mouse right now. So. Okay. All right, so we got demos, we got games. So there's some games built in on uh, Nitrous 9. Yeah, there'll be more in the Alpha 4 coming out. or be, I might actually just make that beta 1. All right, so technically this is my first time actually looking at the Ease of Use project, other than seeing you yeah, do it at Cocoa Fest. Yeah, thanks for being Tester there. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, now. Oh, you know what? So Rogue... Rogue is one of my favorites, I, but uh, I don't know if that was working right on this one, right? Is that something you're still working on? Yeah, I'm still doing some modifications so you can... This is a bug up. This is the Joydriv bug where you can't make the full screen. That's why you yep. so, so what do I got to do? Oh. Just size whatever window size you want to play Rogue in. Now, does this automatically load to fancy fonts, or is this defaulting to plain fonts? Uh, on Alpha 3, I can't remember what I did. His space bar, and you'll find out. <laughs> Rogue's name. <laughs> now it's going to look like I Oh, yeah, it. it's got the people. I got my little stick figure. Okay, yeah. so it does. Hello, Curtis. Welcome to the Dungeons of Doom. All right, and this is 80 columns, right? Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. you've got it set a little bit small. I think you probably got, what, about a 78 by 24. Okay, or but it's using this. It's using the high-res font. 80 columns, yeah. Okay. And before before you're working on Rogue, Rogue was not able to be resized, right? Rogue used no, to it, it could be resized, but it would always use the hardware text font if you resized it. It would never use the graphics font. That's one thing I've patched. Ah, okay. It also will not work on graphics mode if you're on a 40-column screen, too, if you want it. Neat. Okay. And I just closed that, right? So firing up a Coco 3, firing up OS 9, uh, pretty easy stuff, right? Hey, um... Go to hard drive one. Okay. I mean, Ron Klein, you're using this, right? So is it the RGB DOS hard drive? Yes. That that was something that um, Robert Galt, I think Barry Nelson did some modifications to it later. It's a hard drive image they have with a older version of Nitrous 9. Now hit and, six. Um, and disk extended color basic virtual copies all on the same hard drive. Now hit DIR 55. Oops. Keys are going pretty quick. No, just DIR, yeah. Yeah, it's like the keyboard's a little funky for me. It's like it's typing really fast. Okay. Yeah. Load up 
Puyan. You can do run M quote Puyan. Oh, but you're going to have, when you hit P, you have to hit it twice. Because it pauses. Pause. Yeah. Oh, you can ah. disable that. That's the you. That's the thing built into main yeah. um, for keyboard emulation. What like, do I need to do to get it to tell it that's on drive fifty-five? Anything? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, dot b i n colon fifty-five. So, no colon. There you go. Well, nope. I'm trying to find it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm using a real keyboard. Now, another thing I do is uh, before I even put the name of the Puyen in, is I'll, I'll do a drive 55. Oh, just type in drive 55. Yeah. And okay. that'll default to that disk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is this is that thing where, oh, this is the one that's patched for the Coco 3. All right. So this is Puyen patched for the Coco 3, so the colors don't suck as much. Um, and it actually looks more like the real arcade game. So, um, no, that's cool. So we booted up a Coco 3. <laughs> Nick Morota says, I can't drive. 55. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Sammy Hagar is going to be here today. Yeah. So um, Probably at the Cabo Wabo. So yeah. one, of the, one of the things that hopefully everybody's been able to glean from this so far, when it comes to just running the emulators, you've made that real easy. We pull up a menu, we pull up an emulator, and then for the most part, you, you've made it pretty user-friendly to load the software into the emulator once you've populated the images um, into the share, right? But how about we look now at some of the science behind this and some of the other cool features. Like one of the ones I really want to show off is Mikey's uh, PyWire. Um, and some other things like that, right? So you want me to go ahead and jump yeah. down to the utilities menu? Sure. Okay. So in addition to all the emulators, which take up the first six slots right now, this is where you get into utilities. All right. And one of the things that Ron was showing me is if I want to figure out which version of DriveWire service I'm running, if I hit system status, this will come up and this will show me. And right now it's showing me that DriveWire 4 is running. But you notice it also has LW wire, it's got Pi Drive wire, it's got the MC server, which is like the MC10 version of DriveWire. And you even see here that it's got an IP address because it's on my network, right? So there's a, there's a way you can get it on your Wi-Fi by editing a text file, put in your network name and your password, and a CocoPi will get on your, on your Wi-Fi. And so I've got an IP address, I'm on the network. I'm running DriveWire 4. But what can we do here to? Uh, I want to do that thing you showed me with the with the with the Mikey's Pi wire. So do oh, I need sure. to stop drive wire. Yeah. So what happens is I've included multiple versions of uh, of programs that provide drive wire service because they all feature something a little bit different. And because frankly they do run on the Pi, I figured I would include them. Um, one thing I want to mention is not only does the Raspberry Pi provide drive wire through the Becker port interface for the emulators. But if you have a real Coco, um, because the Raspberry Pi has USB ports, you can use the USB to serial adapters and you can host DriveWire for a real Coco on the Raspberry Pi. And that can become your DriveWire server. Uh, same with the MC10. There's, um, if you have an M a real MC10 at home and you're running Darren's MCX128 cartridge, you can hook up the same DriveWire cable to the same USB adapter and you can host files from that Raspberry Pi to your real MC10. And um, if you get real fancy, DriveWire has the ability to host multiple uh, DriveWire um, sessions. So you could actually have DriveWire uh, servicing the emulator on a Pi, 
also um, hosting files for a real Coco. And if you make sure you don't have, you're not using the same um, ports, you can actually have the MC10 uh, connected as well. So it's it's really pretty neat. That is kind of cool. It is. One um, of the things that you mentioned before, though, yeah. was I had to open up different windows, right? Uh, different terminal windows in Linux to, to run the PyWire, right? Yeah, so let me get into that a little bit. So DriveWire itself, the, the regular DriveWire for Java-based, um, can run as a daemon. So you can launch it, it just sits in the background, and you're, you don't have to use the virtual consoles on the, the Raspberry Pi. When you look at things like um, Mikey's Drive Pi DriveWire server or even um, William Estelle's LWire, uh, those have to be launched as a console app. Now, if you're a Linux person, you know how to, you can background those, but I'm trying to make this a little more simple. And what you want to do is if you want to run one of the other DriveWire type of systems, you make sure you shut down the one that you're currently using. And I think you already did that. Um, right. And then what you want to do is hit Alt F. I think you already did that too, right? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just showing right now that none of these are running, right? Well, it shows, actually, it show, why is it showing they're all running? Hold on. Hit, hit OK. Are you on the second console or the first um, console? Uh, that's the first console. Um, this is my this is my second console now. Yeah, go to the first go to the first console. Okay, this one says. N yeah, I, go to go, yeah. Let me let me explain what that is, and that's something I have to work on. Go to the first console. Okay, I'm on the first one. Do system status on the first console. Mm -hmm. And right now it says it says the bottom three are all running. Yeah, that's. I don't know why they'd be showing on yours. Do so me should favor. I just stop them? Yeah, go to stop L-Wire. We're just going to make sure they're stopped. Uh, stop L-Wire. It has to do with the fact that you're logged into the second console. Okay. That's and why. We'll, we'll so stop. as long as you've got them stopped, that's that's a bug fix I'm going to have to work on. Whoops. It just type in menu. Yep, that's because of the second console. All right, so when All I go right. to utilities right now and I go to system status, nothing should be running, right? Not running, not running, Correct. not running, not running. Right. Okay, so nothing's running now. So now I go over my over second, second window. Console. Yep, yep. Uh -oh. oh, you must hit escape. That's okay. You can just type in menu. I don't know what I did. I don't know where I am. Okay, menu. Okay, so we go to utilities. We go to start Pi drive. And this is the second console, right? It should be, yeah. Yep, okay. Yep, yeah. go right ahead. All right, so now we're going to start this, and it, and, that, and this is where you warn us that we should be in Alt F two, yeah, to be in a different terminal console. window. Yeah, okay. Not for regular drive wire, just for some just, of these alternate drive wires. Just for the yep. for the Python drive wire. Yep. Okay, and so this is loading it up right now. Yep, but then you flip over to your main terminal. Now, now it's back running. Yep. Okay, now that's if I go to system status, I should see that Pi drive wire is running. Everything else is not running. Okay. So that's good. So we'll get out of here. And by the way, this is also where you would reboot or shut down your Raspberry Pi to do it gracefully. Yes, yes. All right. yep. So we'll go yeah. to uh, return to main menu. So now we're going to go to color computer three menu, right? Yep. And then which one are we going to pull up? The Fusix? Yeah, we want to use, no, we want to use one that's using, um, that has access to DriveWire. So you could even go under the HBD, HGB DOS if you'd like, the second one. Well, what's the one that you where we we, we end up getting into Play-Doh? 
Ah, uh, you can second one's fine. Any any of those that'll use drive wire, but this one that one should be just fine. Most people are familiar with HGB DOS. Okay. And, um, you hit enter on that. It's just letting you know it's going to load up a standard Coco three. And what it's doing is it actually loaded the new Plato terminal for that Irata service. Uh huh. Uh, Brett wrote a Coco three client. He's it's still work in progress. And what this is doing is it's taking advantage of Mikey's Pi drive wire. Um, where you can actually get out to the internet with that DriveWire client. And by the way, you could mount the same disk image in regular DriveWire. I was just experimenting with Mikey's um, Python-based DriveWire uh, just because I wanted to, you know, just test it. And you're actually online right now. I'm online. This is, a, this is really yes. cool. So everybody who's been talking about Telnet BBSing and all this kind of stuff, all the, what all the cool kids are doing these days. Um, we've just done it on the Cocoa Pie fairly easily, all in emulation. Has anybody else been on uh, Play-Doh yet? That's what I was going to ask. I haven't really messed with it yet. So here's a games menu. Air Fight, Avatar, Battleship, Bingo, Checkers. Right. Now I will I will warn folks that are using the Irata service. It, it's really neat, but there's some interesting keyboard uh, hotkeys that are used as part of that service, and not everything maps cleanly to the Coco Three keyboard. And that's you're, they're going to see that across the Commodore sixty four and Atari and Apple. And um, Thomas, who's who's heading up that project, is working with the folks that are developing clients. He's done a lot of the client work himself, and Brett's working on the Coco 3 port, like I had mentioned. And um, there's a keyboard map, I think, that Brett had posted to help folks that are using the Coco 3 so they know what, like, the ship, the next key is, what the uh, ship back key is, things mm. like that. Yeah, uh, how would I, I run this on my uh, Coco 3? Like, um, I have... I have DriveWire hooked to it, or I have. Yep. Uh, yep. Is that what I'd, I'd use it with DriveWire? So yeah, so you can use it with DriveWire. It's just a matter of going into Discord right now. Brett has. Um, I don't know if he's actually posted a binary of it. It's on GitHub. I took it and compiled it. I, I'd be happy oh. to provide that. And then okay. you would copy it to your Raspberry Pyron. You would mount it in DriveWire, and you would load it like any other disk image and go. How about on just a. Stock Coco 3, how would I? So on a stock Coco 3, Brett is working on, this is uh, supported through the Becker port, which is for emulators. He is actually working on the Bitbanger portion of it. So it loads up initially on a real Coco 3, but it doesn't do the internet connection yet. There's some, uh, there's a timing issue that he's working on. Now he may already have that fixed. I have not looked for the most recent version yet. Okay. Uh, but a lot of folks are, are gonna wanna use this on a real Coco uh, 3. Yeah. Cool. So, cool. Uh, should we wait for? When is the next distribution with with uh, all the um, you know dragon stuff in it and that gonna be out? Well, I call this one the uh, the Tandy Assembly Edition. I want it to be out before then. Um, okay. I just started adding the dragon support, and of course, you know, uh, there's that bug now I saw with the system status when you have two consoles going. Um, so I'll get that cleaned up. I'm not going to wait to release it uh, much longer. The Dragon stuff is just going to be a work in progress. And I really need to get feedback from people that are more familiar with the Dragon system because there's a lot of options in XOR for Dragon support. 
and I am just unfamiliar with the dragon. So I'm going to be probably reaching out to a few folks, um, you know, to help with that. So to answer your question, Ron, I would say um, I'm going to post something within probably the next few weeks. Okay, good. Yep. Cool. How, are, cool. how do I, since I already have one, you know, and I'm all set up, how do right. I incorporate the new stuff into what I've already got? Do I have to make a new? Well, what I'll do is I will make a new uh, SD card image. One of the things that I've been wanting to do is have package upgrades for um, these releases, but there's times when I do so many changes. It doesn't look like it visually, but under the covers there is. So in the case of anyone that's running the most recent release now, mm -hmm. I will provide an archive of just the changes I've made and I will provide instructions on how to copy that file, extract it, and overwrite the existing files. And then, in essence, you'll have the latest version. Okay, so you won't have to do a complete up. Uh, no, but for, for most people, if you copy your files to that share one folder, if you have a copy of that somewhere else, you can literally just take a new SD card image, dump those files back on, update your um, Wi-Fi, and resize the SD card, those three things, and that usually gets you right back up to where you were. Now, in the case I say that with tongue in cheek, if there's somebody like like Rick Adams who does development, I'm sure. Does that happen anytime you say Rick Adams? <laughs> Is that like that movie? Uh, what was it with horses? Horses Winnie when you uh, young Frankenstein? Yeah, right. <laughs> Frankenstein. That's it. <laughs> So for people, and we haven't really touched on that yet with the with the Cocoa Pie, but for people that are doing a lot of development work on it, then I would say, um, yeah, we, we want to have a little bit easier upgrade for them where they don't have to just copy the new SD card image over. So, Right. And we have, I think, both ends of the spectrum on the call. Hopefully Rick, yeah, Rick is still here. So Ron Klein has been using this for a while as uh, kind of on the consumer end of it, just using it. And how, what's your experience been, Ron, um, using the Cocoa Pie? Because I know you post a lot of pictures of you doing things on the Cocoa Pie. Do you feel that it was pretty easy to get up to speed and use? And is it, have you over the learning curve of, of running it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. There was um, a learning curve, and he helped me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. He did one-on-one -on -one with me a, a few times. And uh, uh, there, somebody posted a... Um, YouTube video to get started with it. And that really helped me to start before I even called Ron. So that was good to see. And then um, basically uh, try to break it, you know, get yeah. in there and try to mess things up. And like, if I get out of uh, the menus and I wind up in um, Linux there, you know, mm -hmm. it was tricky on how to get back into the menu again, but I figured all that out. Nah. So, okay. I'm not well, a Linux. I want to mention Ron's been great. I actually he uh, he wanted a feature added a long time ago when he first started using it. So we take this for granted with with Linux distributions and Windows. A lot of times when you plug in a um, removable media into your machine, we just take for granted it gets mounted and it's available. On Raspbian, there is no default for that. So he had a thumb drive where he didn't necessarily want to use a Windows share to copy files over. He wanted to use a thumb drive and. Uh, I added the support, you know, looking online, there's some scripts and things and with a little bit of Linux um, information. So now when you plug thumb drives into the Raspberry Pi, it automatically mounts them and makes them available. Okay. Right. And then that was before I realized that uh, I can access my Pi on the um, 
network. And when I saw <laughs> it on the network, it was like, oh, this is awesome. It's so, so much easier. Drop. I just dragged, you know, I got stuff. I put stuff on. Then I go on a, a Raspberry Pi and look. It's there. Ah, so awesome. Yeah, two, two big things that I found feedback-wise with the Raspberry Pi for anyone that's interested in using it. Um, the first and most important is whatever SD card you use, um, you want to take an option, and that's under the utilities menu. When you first get it copied, you boot it up. What you want to do is resize the file system to take advantage of your, your SD card capacity. You want to expand it fully. What'll happen is a lot of people will grab like a, a 16 gig card and, and this image has got a lot of stuff on it. There's not a whole lot of room. So what'll happen is the OS will not have enough space to write temp files and things. That's how tight it is right now. Most people are putting in, you know, 32 gig cards or 64 gig cards. It's very important to resize that file system on the first reboot. In fact, that may be a feature I add, just automatically check for that and just have it do it when you first boot it up. But why does that happen? I mean, why does what happen? It, why is it that it's not something that's it doesn't happen automatically? I mean, it's just like strange to, you know, DOS people. <laughs> there may be reasons why you don't. I, I don't know. There may be reasons why somebody wouldn't want to expand their file system or change. Uh, it. What what menu is that under again? I just want to pull it up. Is it under utilities? And it's not something I've added. It's part of Raspbian itself. So when you so, scroll oh. um, down. There's a, let me click on screen here so I can see that. So Steve, there's something called raspy config. Run raspy config script. So that's not, yeah. right now it's option number 18. Yep. Okay. So you go into that. And then and I'm just letting people know that, you know, you can mess up your, your Raspberry Pi, not permanently, just from a software mm. perspective. Okay. So now and we have network options, here. boot options. Yes. Advanced options. Under advanced. Yep. Okay. And Expand then file system. Yep. That will go ahead and expand it to uh, fit to take advantage of all the extra space you may have in your SD card. And then it reboots and then you're good to go with that. Okay. So you got to, and is that in your documentation too? Yes, it is. Yes. And then the second thing, and this is the other biggest issue I've seen, is that people need to know, and it's in the documentation, if you don't have the ROM files, copied over to the share where they're supposed to go, you're going to take these menu options. And I probably should add a message that says, you know what, there's no ROMs. Because what will happen is MAME's erroring out in the background, but it's flashing so quickly and bringing the menu back up, you're, you're not seeing it. Mm -hmm. and that's the other big thing that has caught people on this. So that's something else I should probably do is add uh, like a warning message if I don't see any ROMs or something like that. But beyond that, it's, it's pretty much ready to go as soon as you boot it up. Right. And so and again, is, we, we've uh, only seen a lot. We've only seen a little, but there's a lot there that's already in this, in this image. In yeah, so from a development standpoint, if people want to use um, SSH to remotely log into their Pi or even log into the Pi directly like uh, Rick Adams does, a lot of the compilers, the development libraries, the tools, a lot of stuff that's already available in the community is on this system. And at the time I do my releases, I make sure those are all up to date. Now, one of the great things with the developers, now my early versions of the Pi, I was downloading all these things from uh, source and compiling and installing them. Working with the various folks, these are now, almost all the Cocoa development utilities are now available as repo packages where you can do 
app get upgrade and it just knows if there's a new version and it will automatically update your raspberry pi hmm. just like any other os update if you want to do it on your raspberry pi cool so that part's making it very easy yep now can you show how um you can reboot into raspbian from uh the menu here the no, gui no. Would I have to would I have to switch out the SD card? No. Uh, oh, you mean just go to the, just go to a prompt? Yeah. Well, no. Um, on the menu, you can pick whether or not to go to the um, to the GUI or not. Next oh, time you boot. so what Ron's talking about that's not a feature I've added. That's part of Raspbian, the OS. Yeah. Okay. So, Steve, if you were so, to go to the utilities menu and you go into Raspy Config. There's an option there that tells um, Raspbian to boot into X Windows. I have that disabled because okay. I'm using it, but Ron uses it for some. Yeah, I do it. I I go in and I'll use it. And I, um, there's a version of um, what's the name of the browser on there? You can actually go online with it. Okay, so which one do I need to do? Under boot options. Boot options. Yeah. Okay, so so, but this is taking us a little bit outside of what the Cocoa Pie right. project's doing yeah. here. But okay. we I could do have say, a question, though. yeah, are you able to run the um, emulator in Raspbian? So with Mame, it's there's not even a version of Mame for X Windows on oh, okay. Cocoa Pie, but for XWar, I include both. There's actually a GUI version of XWar that'll run in X Windows. However. Oh, cool. The performance is it's it's close. It's probably ninety percent right. of what a real Cocoa two or one or even Dragon will work. Okay. Um, but I don't I don't use it. It's available on there. Though. Okay. Well, I was I was poking around to see if I could find you know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of hidden I, things just for yeah. stuff I work on that's in there. Yep. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to do that to mine because I want to keep mine kind of how it is right now. But that's good to know. You can go, you can go into your yeah. Pi config and you can change your boot options if you want to boot into a GUI. Um, what I would probably prefer to do because I've got multiple micro SD cards yep. is I would probably just have a, a regular micro SD card that I just have Raspbian on and just swap out my memory sticks when I want to boot into Raspbian. Um, uh, to me, I look at the Cocoa Pie as its own little thing and I like to run it the way you have it going right now, Ron. Um, uh, more bare metal, you know. Yeah, a couple more things I'll talk about real quick for the utility side. Um, for people that do their own custom tweaks, there's an option within the Raspberry Pi that if you plug in a removable media like a thumb drive into one of the USB ports, you can actually do a complete backup of your Raspberry Pi onto that USB drive. And if you then take that USB drive to your workstation using one of the tools available, like in Windows, you can dump it as an image. That image can be shared with anybody and written to another micro SD card and they would boot up your exact version of what you've done. In essence, create another version of what is already available. So you can clone your clone your setup. Yes. And then anyone that would do it, they would do they would follow the same steps. They would resize their SD card image. Now, if you included the ROMs and software, that would all be there. Otherwise, you could remove those. But you can right. actually very easily create an exact copy of what you are currently running, which is great for backups. And um, that's okay. so important for the Raspberry Pi because it is a real computer. And if you lose power, you can corrupt that SD card very easily that you can't stress that enough in the utilities menu there is an option to shut it down or reboot and that's the safest way to go yeah i, I completely yeah. agree with that 
Um, the other and one more thing, yep. when you're buying a Raspberry Pi 3, make sure you get a proper power supply because it really needs at least two and a half amps. I personally run mine at three and a half. Two and a half is minimum, bare minimum. Yep. Yeah, you, yep. Plug, in, you plug in a thumb drive and you will get that little indicator light that you're under power. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not trying to promote, you know, any company over another as far as buying it. But a lot of times when you buy Raspberry Pis, you can get them as kits, save a little more money. Some of the kits are good enough where they're they're giving you a properly rated power supply. Um, so for folks that have questions on that, you know, you can reach out to me as well. I'm happy to. But Steve's recommendation for even going a little higher than two and a half is not a bad thing, especially if you start adding external hard drives like mm -hmm. portable drives or, or anything else um, because the power requirements, yeah, they can, they can add up. Um, uh, the only I thing I wanted to touch on with the utilities thing, and it may be important for some folks is for cloud-based services, things like Google drive, Dropbox. I've included um, utilities for those. There's actually stuff out there, command line ones where you can actually upload files to your Google drive and they'll automatically sync to your Pi. So, Let's say, for example, somebody like Simon wants to send me something to look at for a demo or whatever. I can actually instruct him to send it up to a cloud drive and then that will sync to my Raspberry Pi and I can instantly mount it either in DriveWire or locally through MAME's menu. So that's kind of nice for doing some collaboration quickly. Um, the other thing that's in there too I wanted to mention is, um, what was it? There was the cloud drive, the backup, Oh my gosh, there was something uh, else. You got an IRC client on here. There's an archive. There's the world of Yeah, I got the menu yeah, up on so screen. That, so that's something else. I'm not sure if folks are going to be using it, but basically there's a, a text-based web browser out there called Lynx. It's been around for years. And I figured, well, you know what? If somebody's got their Pi on the network and they're, they can get on the internet and they're in front of their Raspberry Pi, they don't have their workstation handy, they can actually browse to the Color Computer Archive and you can navigate it through links, and you can download software titles right here. <laughs> here it is. It's I a, know it's, it's a funny. Text I, don't, I don't know if anyone's going to use it, but I figured, you know what? I'm going to add the links, and I've added links to some other um, neat sites for development purposes for the Coco. And, yeah, you can go in there, and you can just grab whatever you want. So, you know, Back in the day, I used links to uh, browse the Internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. GoFund yeah. was popular for... That's for, insane. Uh, yeah. I even yep. did that for my Coco too. I logged into yeah. a local provider here and, and ran KBCom or VTerm or something like that. So, could you do that? Could you run one of the emulators with one of the VT52, VT100 compatible terminal programs and actually log into links directly from there and actually download stuff right to the Coco image? Oh, yeah. You can SSH right into your, yeah, you can do all that. In fact, I SSH into my Coco all the time, the Coco Pi. Okay. Now oh. we have we have Rick Adams doing a screen share, and Rick is an avid user of the Retro uh, Cocoa Pie project for development. So take it away, Rick. You're muted still. You know, Rick. Rick was one of the early adopters of this thing, and yeah, uh, his Rick, you're muted. Yeah, his feedback was so valuable, and then with Ron coming on board with it. Um, They've been the most vocal with regards to things, and I, you know, I appreciate that. I, I can't make it for everybody, but I'm certainly willing to do what I can to help people customize theirs as well. So yeah, well, Rick just stopped screen sharing. Hey, there's um, one other thing I might mention. On occasion, uh, when I run graphics on my um, Pi, 
it gets hot and I've gotten a little temperature gauge. So I uh, put a fan next to it. Yeah. So let me, that's a good thing. You brought that up as well. Um, full disclosure. And I do mention the documentation. I do a slight overclock um, on the raspberry Pi three. Again, it's all for performance and I do mention it. And one of the things I mentioned is uh, because there's certain tolerances and variances um, built into, you know, all these things, not, not everyone's exactly the same. Some are more, um, they're not as susceptible to temperature issues as others. So when I chose a case for mine, I have one that has a little teeny fan that blows right on top the Raspberry Pi on top of the heat sinks to keep it cool. I've never had any issues. It doesn't draw much power. And the fan that my case has is extremely quiet. Um, but that's something to be you know aware of. Not everybody wants a clunky fan next to their Raspberry Pi. A lot of people are using it without a fan, and I haven't heard of any issues. But if you have a very tight case without much airflow through it, and depending on what you're doing, it it can um, it can heat it up. Yeah, here's Sorry, mine. guys. There yeah, Rick's is. back. Yeah, I, yeah, that's the same case I have, Ron. But I have heat sinks on my chips. Do you have you get the little aluminum covers on all your chips too, Ron? I don't think so. No, that's why I put the fan on. See yeah. Okay. And some of the kits that you can buy that come yeah. with the Raspberry Pi board, the the power supply, the case, a lot of them are come with those little heat sinks too. Yeah. Yeah. I would maybe go as, as if you're if you're looking for a kit and you're looking for a power supply, not only look for your multiple amps, like your three amps or higher, but see if you can find one that's got an actual switch. Some of these little micro USB power supplies have a toggle switch because if not, you've got to unplug it and plug it back in to power cycle the, the Pi. And I, I would imagine over time that is going to put stress on that connector. So, may, well, you know, maybe look for a it, toggle switch USB Adapter. What I did was I put mine on a strip, power strip. Okay. So yeah, just use a switch on the power strip. Yeah, I've got a clear case similar to yours, but mine's got a bunch of holes cut out in it. So mine's got cutouts where you can access all your pin head connectors and everything yeah, else too. I put a, uh, a metal bar underneath to lift it off the floor, so it's up in the air. Got the it. other thing, the other thing too. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the other thing too about that micro USB power connector. It's not designed to go over two and a half, three amps. So don't think that a five volt version is going to help you that much more. Also, plugging it in, plugging it out, wears down the connections. And pretty soon, what used to be able to go through there can't go through there anymore. And you're going to start to get that little indicator light that you're under power. Is there a uh, cocoa case that uh, someone makes for the uh, yeah. Raspberry Pi? Yeah, I have it. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold it up. Yeah, I think I believe it was um, possibly Glenn Hewlett who did it. It was Glenn yeah. designed one based on the original so. one. It's actually very very neat. Um, there is a project, uh, or there's my, a the lighting in my camera is like freaking yeah, out right it's now. Pretty white, but yeah, it's that's very nice. It's kind of hard but to see, but, but it's a tight case. He did put ventilation in it, which which does help. Yep. Yeah. So it's and would help more. So, yeah, but yeah. I, I found it was kind of hard to get access to everything with this case. So I actually won this at an auction, I think, two years ago at Cocoa Fest. It is the, it's the 3D printed white Cocoa case. Um, I like it, but I'm just kind of keeping it on a shelf as like a little knickknack. Um, I found it was a little bit hard to gain access to all the ports and the power and the connections and everything. So it wasn't as serviceable, I found, for me, uh, having my pie inside this case. 
But yeah, it's pretty cool. It looks like a white Coco 1, although the lighting in here, you can't see the details. I don't know if I can get it any closer, if that's helping. There we go. Now you can see the bit. keyboard. There, there you go. So here you can see the keyboard of it. Looks pretty cool. The little bar. It's even got a little RAM badge. It's got the ventilation on it, right? It's an early Coco 1. An early yeah. Coco 1, right? Because the, the, the badge it's is not centered. It's right? also a big badge. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is where you would see where your Raspberry Pi would basically go above those little round slots there for the uh, ventilation. And then it's got, it does have some access in the back. Hello, guys. Yeah, Rick's here. Okay. Okay. Um, I did want to show you some things on my system, but I wasn't really intending to crash the video feed like that. Um, I got lost, couldn't find my way back to the client. I was muted, and I couldn't figure out how to undo it so i sort of crashed out of the call okay you're back how about we do this how about we'll take a quick another quick commercial break and then we'll get back with rick adams showing us some development stuff because this this is a long segment but it's a good segment and hopefully everybody's getting something out of it um does that work for you rick in about a minute and a half we'll come back with you just stay there and be ready to share sure i hope i know what i'm doing when we do it <laughs> okay so we're going to take a, a commercial break for about a minute and a half we'll be back and then rick adams is going to show us how he's developing on the cocoa pie so we'll be back after these words. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live Coco Talk show. No sound. No words. After these messages, we'll be right back. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh, and for almost a year now, we've been hosting a weekly live talk show on YouTube called Coco Talk about an extremely obscure retro computer system from 1980. But in this time, we've figured out how to fine tune the live streaming talk show format, and we've also figured out that people love to get together and talk about things that they enjoy and that they. From Radio Shack, the TRS-80 Model 3, and at $200 off, it's a great value. Select from Radio Shack's huge program library to aid your children's education, plan your personal and household budgets, or to entertain with fast-action games. You can even learn to write programs. The TRS-80 Model 3, on sale for $7.99, only at Radio Shack and Radio Shack Computer Centers, the computer experts. All right, we're back. Are we back? Can you guys hear me? Yep. Hello. Okay. All right, so Rick Adams is here, creator okay, of Temple of Rom and other cool things. Okay, let's see, push share. Okay, there we go. Um, so this will be really brief. Um, you can hear me, right? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, um, so I am a command line guy, so I'm not running any of those menus or anything like that. Right now, I am SSH'd into it from my uh, laptop. Uh, so you can see that I logged in, and uh, I've uh, made a couple of tweaks. I've changed the colors on the prompt. Uh, so it's in different colors and it looks all pretty and stuff. Um, I also have uh, some utilities that I, you know, developed long ago. Uh, I can say, uh, oh, now I'm I'm typing and it's not doing it. There we go. Uh, 
So if I so it, uh, I just say you know go temple and then it just goes to here. Uh, I can go to anywhere in the file system. Like say if I went to etc. Uh, then I would say mark etc. Uh, Ron Klein is probably taking notes right now. Uh, and then if I wanted to get back there, I'd, I would just say go etc. Uh, so I'm going to go to Temple of Ram, and here are all the files having to do with that. Uh, so the make file is a file that has instructions on how to build it and doing various things. So it's got all kinds of, you know, all that LWASM command and then the deck, the deck B command to command, you know, so the first line here, the LWASM will build it. Then the deck B command will copy it into, uh, my drive zero dot DSK, uh, 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 disk image. And when it does that, then thanks to DriveWire, it'll already be mounted on my color computer. So I can immediately go over to my color computer and run it. So Temple sure. of Rom, so Temple, well, I can't actually run it because I'm in, it won't do anything graphical since I'm logged in remotely. It'll do it, it'll do it, but it'll do it downstairs where I am not at the moment. <laughs> oh. This is like, you know, several rooms away and uh, in the lower uh, level of my house as opposed to the top level. Um, so building Temple of Rom used to be like about 60 minutes worth of hard work with cassettes and things. And now I just type make and it just, boom, it built. So we're all done. So, <laughs> that was it. That's done. Yeah. It's so it's just amazing. So th this is so much different than the old days, let me tell you. <laughs> so um now if i go up a level so i'm like a command line guy so you know i don't do menus at all i'm just you know I, i'm just really manly and all that so so now you see we got uh, bomb threat uh, delphi term uh omnistar shanghai and temple of rom so if i go down to shanghai i can make shanghai i can just build it boom it's built Wow. So if I want to look at, uh, what was it? Rick, I want to add something to this. So this is really neat. Sure. One thing that, um, you know, I like the command line as well, but Rick's done some neat things with regards to syntax highlighting for, for VI. Oh, um, yeah. That's something you may want to show. And then the other thing I want to mention, too, is for people that are developers like Rick, um, things like the Nitrous 9 source code that's out in the repo, things like Fuzix that's out in the repo, a lot of these other projects that are out there, a lot of times, you know, we're waiting to get the, the binary uh, files already compiled on a disk image ready to go. But all the utilities needed to compile these projects are part of CocoaPie. I, right. I make sure that gets added on there. When I got my CocoaPie, I started, you know, okay, now we need to, to uh, load in such and such and, you know, get, get a hold of this distribution of such and such. And it's like, oh, that's already there. Okay, move on to the, the next thing on the list. Oh, that's already there also. So everything was there. LWASM, uh, Toolshed Tools, uh, all that stuff was there. So now I'm looking at the uh, one of the files for Shanghai. And so it's, it's highlighting everything in different colors depending on what it is, mm -hmm. which is really handy when you're working on things because it's like, oh, that's not in the right color. It probably means I misspelled it. So are you on a Linux machine separate from your Pi? Uh, no, this is my Pi. Oh, okay. 
So I'm, I'm remoted into it, you know, with an SSH session from my oh, okay. laptop. All right. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, Ron, so, it looks like he's in Windows and then yep. he's accessing his pie that way. Okay. Correct. I'm trying to see where, oh, there we go. Shanghai.asm. So this was really fun. We, we recovered these files from, from a, a hard disk, I mean a, a floppy disk. And uh, so I, I was, in this case, I was able to get the actual source code to Shanghai, the original source code that I sent off to Activision. So there's all the credits and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I had forgotten all these people worked on it. And, oh, that's the name of my project manager. I remember, I remember her, her first name was uh, uh, Sherry, but I didn't remember her last name. And then her, here, there's my contact at Tandy that I worked with on that project. So there's, there's the actual thing. So, wow. Uh, including what a great piece. Of, what a great piece of history there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I won one of the floppy disks that has the physical copy of this on, on the auction too, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. Yep. And the last, uh, Coco Fest, uh, we made our second attempt at reading the, uh, source for Delphi term, my terminal program. Mm. And uh, the previous, uh, I think at Tandy Assembly, we had tried to read it. And it turned out when I got home, I found out the files were all corrupted. So we made a second attempt at Cocoa Fest and we succeeded. So I got that. So I've shared that online recently uh, because, you know, I'm not going to make any money from that. So it's like, oh, you want the, you want the source to Delphi term? Yeah, you can have that. Cool. So that's about it. So yeah, it, it almost seems to me like because you know I'm I'm starting to cross that threshold where I'm going to need development environments, and it seems like a lot of these development tools are are more Linux oriented, and rather than me trying to figure out how am I going to get Linux on my PC, am I going to run a virtual machine, am I going to do that? I've got Linux on my freaking Raspberry Pi. So why not just use my pie to start developing like you're doing and um, not have to reinvent a wheel that's already there. So I, I might start doing something like that too. I need a little bit of help just being pointed in the right direction and how to do it. But it, it you know, it kind of makes sense. And it's so we saw how quick it was. Mm -hmm. And, and for my needs right now, since I'm only doing stuff in basic, I don't even need to worry about pushing it over to a real cocoa for testing because basic's going to work, you know, if I ever got to the point where I'm doing some really heavy bare metal manipulation and assembly, then I would want to test it on hardware too. But for the short term, it seems like you could really speed up the cycle by doing it all through emulators, you know? And, right. Uh, Although I have a real Cocoa 3 to the right of my Cocoa Pi, so, uh, and it mounts on it instantly. So I can be, you know, I can type, you know, make to build it over here. And then I just turn around in my chair a little bit and I'm running it on a real Coco 3. Right. So it's, it's lightning fast. And then I have like tweaks to my Coco 3, uh, Coco SDC, so that it brings up a menu of, you know, do you want to test your game? Do you want to run OS 9? Uh, you know, do you want to run this game, that game, the other game? You know, so it's, uh, you know, you type one. So I could be running my game. I could type escape. Uh, to go back to the menu and then type one to rerun the game. So I'm just make it, you know, escape one, and I'm running the new version of the game. Wow. Just on that. real hardware. Yeah, on real hardware. I did it on an emulator for a while, and then I got a real Coco 3, mm -hmm. and I got that all up and running. 
And so I do it now. I do it with real hardware now. Yeah. Why not? So you modified the SCDX file so yeah. that you can have a different menu? Did um, Right. I uh, got DriveWire working recently using the um, flash area in the SDC by bringing mm -hmm. it up HBD DOS. I thought that was really cool to do. Oh, yeah. The flash commands are really cool. I haven't totally, I don't totally understand them yet, but I know pretty much basically what they do, and it, it, it's pretty powerful. It's a neat idea. Yeah. Uh, I think doesn't drive, doesn't the Coco SDC already support DriveWire out of the box with SDC DOS? Yeah. I think there's some commands where you can mount DriveWire disks without having to switch DOSes. Yeah, I haven't used those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. No, but that's cool. So yeah, there's a lot of things we can do with Cocoa Pie on on the surface for the average consumer and user. It's just a really cool emulation platform that's pretty user friendly, and you can be up and running on a Cocoa One, Cocoa Two, Cocoa Three, MC10, a variety of dragons. It will emulate uh, multi-pack interfaces. It will emulate the speech and sound cartridge. Um, game it, master cartridge game master cartridge it emulates uh, so if if you're just looking for a fairly quick and easy way to have a coco experience you know i know some people are into i gotta have the real hardware and i get it um, but not everybody has the luxury of the space to do it or you know the being able to find it on ebay and win the auction or just being able to afford it so if somebody wants a compact coco experience this might be a compelling cost effective thing to try Right. You can take it with you traveling. Yeah, yeah. And and that actually got me thinking because I've had this forever. I bought this thing probably a year ago, and I just don't know what the heck to do with it. So I've been, and I've been waiting for Ron, and thank you, Ron, for finally, <laughs> um, Ron Klein, for um, for having some time to spend with us to properly explain it because I'm just going to be the idiot trying to say, oh, yeah, I think you can do this, and I think you can do that because I don't freaking know what to do with it. But um, um, there's a lot of fun you can have with it. So I'm thinking when I go to VCF Midwest, I'm probably going to bring the Cocoa Pie to demo Cosmic Aliens. Was, you know, I was originally thinking I'll just do it from my laptop, but it's like, why waste my laptop? You know, I can do it on well, a Cocoa Pie. <laughs> pull it out of your pocket. Yeah, you know? And you so... Know, it's, it's a neat little thing. It, it fills a neat little niche. Um, just because you can do it on a Pi doesn't necessarily mean I'm advocating it over real hardware. I still prefer that as well. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, for, for some people, it is a fast way to get up and running to at least experience what the color computer can do to some extent. And all the other stuff, the development part of it, those are just bonuses. So I encourage anyone that's interested in this project, please make it your own. If there's custom things you want to do, share them, talk about them, whatever, because that's really the only way it's going to get better. I can only think of so many things before I'm like, well, it kind of fits what I need. But I'm I'm always watching other people's projects. If there's something that can be incorporated into it, I'm, I'm going to look at it. I'll always talk to those folks. Um, you know, prior to that. But yeah, I, I encourage anyone tinker with it. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll come up with some better ideas on how to make it better. Yeah. And I just went to the utilities menu and did the proper shutdown. So I used the menu option yeah. to shut down the pie. Yep. So now point. my pie now my pie is turned off gracefully. Okay. So I have not corrupted my SD card. Um, no, it's neat. It's a neat project. There's a lot you can do with it. You can do as much or as little as you want. If you just want to tinker and play games and play Cocoa stuff, you can do that. If you want to develop, you can do that. If you want to learn Linux in a fairly safe environment, you can do that without having to waste a VM or dual boot or anything else. You can boot up Linux and learn Linux. If you want to start developing with the LWASMs and all these things I've been hearing about but have no idea how to use, 
they're there and we could probably lean on some people to um, get some help and, and making it happen. Um, earlier, somebody had asked a question in the live chat, uh, chat. Jeff Arts says, if you wanted to start the GUI, could you just type in start X from the, uh, from the command prompt and, and load up the X windows? Yes, client. it's still there. Yeah, the X still there. is not removed. It's all still okay, there. So you could, so instead of having to go through that menu option and reboot into GUI, you could just type in start X. Okay. And so then if, how do you get out of it? Stop X. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's an option to reboot. To, to, to reboot and you can okay. Reboot. So then you reboot from the GUI and it, yeah. and it will default boot into. Uh, so that might be a little cool thing too, is just on, on your menu, if you want, especially if Ron, if you want to do a DIY Ron, Ron Delvaux, if you want to try to edit the menu to add an option to load the Yeah, I probably wouldn't GUI. do that. <laughs> well i was volunteering you because i wasn't going to try it <laughs> yeah. yeah the way it is is fine you know one other thing i might say is uh on the physical cocoa when you uh load up a graphic viewing program and you want to put uh, a disc in to see the files on it and then you want to see another disc you have to recycle uh on um the simulator um because it's you know menu driven with uh um, is it MAME? Um, yeah. yeah, you can bring up the um, graphics program and then just keep changing out the um, drive one and see different pictures on different ones without having to keep, uh, you know, cycling, turning off, loading the program in again. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a whole lot easier. Easier if to anyone, flip through the disks? Yeah, if anyone ha has... Uh, ever done anything like that probably not i'm maybe the only one but <laughs> you can think about <laughs> i have lots and lots of pictures so no that's cool okay let's go over a couple of things uh that they absolutely should do if they're going to get themselves a raspberry pi we kind of touched about it for a second or two but uh ron from your point of view oh uh about the pie yeah, what should they look for in their pie package they're going to buy? Oh, well, the, you touched on the biggest one, which is the power supply. They got to make sure they get the right power supply. Two and a half amp is minimum. If you think you're going to be running a lot of external um, devices off the USB ports, uh, the three amp one would be a good choice or three and a half. The other thing is from an SD card perspective, uh, it's in the documentation as well. I suggest at least a class 10 uh, rated card for speed. Um, SD card speed is everything on this, and it can affect performance. Actually, I'm going to interrupt you on that. Class oh. 4 is actually the fastest for Raspberry Pi. Because what happened is when they went to class 10, yeah, it's generally faster if you're loading in or writing a large amount of data. But when you're doing small segments, it's slower. Wow, I'll have to I'll have to check that. Um, yeah, because most of the cards I'm using are higher capacity, yep. and they even have they have ratings now that are different than they they went to ten, and now there's yeah they lowered the number again because there's another class of card. I'm not, and that may be what you're. I don't know if that's what you're talking about or not. But well, it's the old uh, class four. Uh, okay. The diehards recommended. Yeah. They okay. They're okay. Lower operations, um, but the thing is, uh, the advantage of the class tens is there's more of a manufacturer, they're a little beefier, and they may actually last longer. And that's another thing, too, is that SD cards are not going to last forever. 
they're going to wear because the Raspberry Pi does page swapping. Yes. And yep. you're going to wear out your card. So when you get a card, don't buy one, buy several. Yeah. So you got yeah. your backup. And then also buy one of those, uh, if you don't have an extra uh, thumb drive around, buy another thumb drive that's got at yeah. least as, the size of your cards. Yeah, oh, you you would also need to have an SD card reader adapter doohickey too for your computer, right? And I've got one of that. I've got a USB 3.0. This is, 3. I, this is yeah. what I use when I do a backup of the Pi before I make a distro. I don't know if anyone can see this, but basically, yep. it's that's a what I got too. I stick the SD card in, and that's what I use for the backup. Yep. Yeah, mine's pretty similar to that too. It's you got can backup a, from the network right onto your PC. Right. Yeah. But definitely buy extra cards. Plan on replacing your cards, depending on how much you use your Raspberry Pi, every couple of years, if not sooner. Yeah. Hey, SD Ron. cards are dirt cheap. Hey, Ron. Yes. If you uh, boot um, this into uh, the little menus and then use uh, um, Coco 3 and, you you know, you do your little uh, programs with it and stuff, you're not really using a lot of swap space, are you, on the card? No, but the OS is doing stuff um, as part of it. One of the things that I, you know, um, Steve brings up some good points. I actually have even tinkered with disabling the swap file at all. So the Raspberry Pi is just using RAM. Now, that's not always the right thing to do. And on this distro, I'm not doing it, but I've been experimenting with that. Um, because if you do large compiles, uh, like the Nitrous 9 repo. I stopped doing that on the SD card because you're going to kill it. Same with MAME. I will not do it on the SD card. There's just too much I.O. going on with that. Yeah. So I'll either hook up an external hard drive and use that and tell the swap space to use the external hard drive. I'm getting a little technical here. Or I've recently started experimenting, for anyone interested, um, cross-platform compiling on my main workstation using a product called QEMU. Um, I won't go into it now, but they have ARM uh, plugins for that. So I can actually compile MAME, which was taking, no kidding, on the Raspberry Pi, 14 hours to compile MAME. Oh, my God. I can do wow. it in about uh, 20 minutes on my workstation right now. Wow. Yeah, and then copy it over and it works. I mean, honestly, even 20 minutes sounds like an eternity when you're doing something on a computer. You yeah. know, we're so spoiled by things being fast nowadays, but compared to 14 hours, 20 minutes is light speed. As, <laughs> as you were saying, you're overclocking uh, the Raspberry Pi. So getting one that's got the heat sinks and the fans is an excellent idea. Yes. And that's why I recommend it in the documentation. It's, it's a slight overclock. It's not much. Now, with the Raspberry Pi 3B Plus, uh, that overclock is not needed. It's already a couple hundred megahertz faster, I believe, and that's all I was doing with the uh, with the, the regular three. So, um, for people that want to use the three B plus, it can just be left as is. Well, isn't there the, like one the, gig of RAM in it? Um, the biggest. I don't remember if there's more memory in the three B plus. I know the biggest thing was the Wi-Fi speed. I, I I'm not a big fan of the Raspberry Pi three Wi-Fi speed but they've improved that dramatically in the latest version of the Raspberry Pi. But the RAM, I don't know, Steve, do you know if they, I don't, I have to look at the specs again. No idea. Yeah. Uh, but staying on the SD cards for using in this project, what size do you recommend? Well, with the, with the next release, I mean, 
I'm going to start telling people, uh, I know it seems kind of high. I'm telling people, you know, 32 gig. So 32, 64 would be fine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got 32 yeah. myself. Yeah. 16 is just, if you have 16, the image will fit, but you have almost no space left on it. That's why I recommend now. When I first released it a couple of years ago, I was starting with an eight gig image and it was barely fitting, but it was working. And I tried to keep the distribution size low. And I was telling people, get a 16 gig. Now I'm just, you know, unfortunately, I don't have an increment of going 24. I got to jump right to the next one, which is 32. But the mm -hmm. prices have come down on these micro SD cards. So um, that's what I'm suggesting. My favorite is 32. Uh, I've tried 64 and that's very nice, but it's really way more storage than I really need. Yep. And backing up a 64 gigabyte uh, card is really annoying. So I, I kind of stick with 32 these days. Now there is an advantage to going to quite a bit more storage is the fact that the system that stores data on the card has more places to put it in that hasn't been written to that many times. So, so it won't get the life, life of your SS. Because it does wear evening. So it can almost double, triple the life of your card. And so, the one thing I want to mention, too, um, as long as we're talking about SD card storage, that backup feature that I have, when it backs it up, you put the smallest SD card in that it'll just fit on. Um, one of the options when you go to back up, it'll tell you how much space it'll use. So, for example, I may have a 64 gig card. I do not want to back up a 64 gig image. It's not actually backing up all the empty space. But the issue is when you go to make an image of the card, it's going to make it the size of the card you're using. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I find the smallest SD card. I always keep a smaller one available and I image it to that. So when I eventually zip that up and put it online to the mirrors for distribution, I, I'm trying to limit that size. All right. So if you had a 64 gig card and you um, installed the image, yep. would you necessarily have to, you know, use that shrinkage program oh, to, you, uh, to expand it? Yeah. Yes, because right now the way it's um, the images is backed up. The one that's available now it's on a sixteen. I think it's a sixteen gig image. It just fits on there. So you want to expand that file system. Otherwise, when you write it to that sixty-four gig card, it's it's only going to use sixteen gig of it. It's not going to know that to expand it, and you're going to have issues with um, it not working correctly because it can't write all the temp files out that it needs to. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about this. I know we could spend a lot more because there's a lot it can do, but hopefully we've whet the appetite for people who want to get in on this. Um, and I know we say this quite a bit, but the, we, we mentioned Discord all the time, right? So we have our Discord server, which is like our chat server. And there is a CocoPie chat room in Discord. And so for people who want to get this project going and do this project, you can put some questions out there in the, in the Discord chat and, and leverage the knowledge, collective knowledge of everybody else who's working on the project to get some help with it. Yeah, this is a project that uh, I really want to get going here soon. I've uh, made a few attempts at it. It didn't quite work out the way I wanted to, so uh, I'm going to try it again here. And uh, I've got a 3B a 3b and uh yeah gonna give it a shot got uh 32 gig 
S micro SD. So I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and again, I want to note that the current image available is three only. And then the new one coming out in a few couple weeks will be three B plus compatible as well. Okay. I got another question. Um, yes. I tried to unplug my, uh, uh, HDMI from this one and I took it in the living room to my TV, plugged it in and I got no picture. Why is that? Okay. couple things. The biggest thing is, um, some TVs aren't gonna change. They won't support the resolution of 640 by 480. Uh, I'm not sure how old the TV is because what's happening is there is a file on the raspberry Pi. it's called slash boot slash config. And uh, it's a dangerous file to go into if you don't know what you're doing. But basically, I'm forcing a 640 by 480 resolution. So if your TV or monitor doesn't support that over HDMI, it's not going it, to, it won't display anything. So it's just blank. Now, yes. Now, you can remove that restriction and let it go back to the 1080p uh, resolution. Well, let me ask you this. If I went into the Raspberry, uh, the Raspbian, you know, GUI, yeah. it would work? But not necessarily with the with the cocoa pie. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's um again not all TVs support that that resolution. The ones I've used all support it. Um, but I, I have heard of a couple people where they're it's like it just won't go down to six forty by four eighty. Okay. No. The the problem I ran into was that um, I because I'm running mine through a. Um, HDMI switch switch box. So I've got five way switcher, and then that runs into the HDMI capture. That's how I'm able to see it and show it to you guys. What I found was I had to be my switch box had to be on the source before I powered up the Cocoa Pie. So like if your TV was not turned on and your TV was not switched to the right source of that HDMI input, that come. may have prevented the Cocoa Pie from detecting your display. And because there's a little plug and play handshake that goes on, so it knows well what's what resolutions does this screen support? Can we sync and all these things like that? So um, you you need to have your TV on and set to the right input before you plug in and turn on your Pi. That can also make a difference. Yeah, you know, it didn't in my case. Yeah, yeah, and for people that want to experiment, that you know, when you start getting into the Raspberry Pi, it's kind of beyond the scope of this uh, discussion. But there is a composite out on the GPIO header. And you can enable that, and people can actually hook up you know, older monitors that are using RCA video. Um, you know, it, and it won't. You know, you're not going to have the same resolution, but it, it will Where work. Where is that at? On the on the things that stick on up? the top of the Raspberry Pi. There's a thing called the GPIO header. It's a it's a oh long, yeah double yeah. row of pins. There's actually um, an additional serial port on there. There's um, composite output for video. There's actually a lot of things you can do with the Raspberry Pi that go well beyond this project. Is that where you hook a camera to it? Uh, yes, that camera can go on there as well. Yeah. Sure. A lot of stuff, yeah. Yeah, cool. it's cool. Um, so we're, we're going to kind of wrap it up, but I figure we have we got 30 people watching us right now. We've got a bunch of people in the panel. So for all of us right now who have um, um, seen this so far, do we have any comments suggestions or questions for Ron Klein right now, who is kind of our subject matter expert on this right now. Um, Cause I know Ron, it's, 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 it's great that you're here, Ron. I know you're busy. And so now that we have you, anybody who's been dying to ask Ron Klein some questions, yeah. anybody got questions for Ron? I don't have answers for it all. There's a lot of other <laughs> people that 
have much more knowledge than I do on the pie and everything. I'm I'm winging it, but I, I learn yeah. all it, every time I tinker with it, I learn something new. All right, so Jeff Arts is saying that there's also like a one eighth inch jack that's called a TRRS jack, it which has composite video on there too. I was wondering about that. It looks like a headphone jack on your on your Cocoa Pie. It's right next to the HDMI port. Oh yeah, yeah, good. So point. there, so there is there is yep. a one eighth inch jack, and does that split out to like audio and video? Audio, yes, yes. Yep. Audio and video. And the other thing is the RR is two rings. So it's one of those jacks that has not three, but four spots on it. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah. So that means what you get like your red, white, and yellow coming out of it? Uh, yes. So it's a three conductor pole that would go in there. It'd be like a little silver. Well, it's, it's three conductor plus ground. Okay. Okay. So how can we use that with a cocoa? <laughs> You don't really? use it with a cocoa. No, you use either. it with a pie, though. <laughs> use it with a pie at a standard TV. Um, now, am I correct? I, uh, you can see, um, you know, the, uh, the mixture of colors with the cocoa, too, on the pie. Right? You're talking about the artifact colors? Yeah, the artifact colors. You will main emulates that. Yes, yeah. that built in the main. Yep. Yeah, because I've, yeah, it looks good. Yep. Yeah. I have a question, if I may. Go ahead, Diego. Um, you know, I I never got a Raspberry Pi. Uh, from the start, it didn't seem powerful enough to me. And uh, like a year ago or something, somebody pointed me to something called uh, Pine 64. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the, the same thing. It's, uh, I think I have it, yeah, over here. Let's see if I can show it. You know, it has Wi-Fi. It's a... Uh, 64-bit CPU and you know it's pretty nice it's kind of like a super Raspberry Pi but of course it doesn't uh, it won't run the same distributions that uh, Raspberry Pi so I was wondering how difficult would it be to adapt these uh, the contents of this distribution to another I'm going to guess Debian based uh, Linux I think that's a great question so I think a lot of the um, the compilers and things like that can probably be ported over or will compile. Um, the issue becomes, and I've looked at a lot of these other single board computers because I'm always looking for something inexpensive that's going to give me the performance I want. And what I found is that while the specs are uh, on some of these single board computers are much more... Um, well, they're much better than what you see on like the current Raspberry Pi offerings. It's it's the uh, the community and the supporting software that goes with it that's just not up to the same speed. So, for example, accelerated video. I, I can't get the SDL2 libraries on some of these other platforms to work. And without that, name's dead in the water. It's just not going to run right. Um, that doesn't mean I stop looking. That Pine64 has been out for a little while. And it is a very powerful machine. And there's some uh, neat things that take advantage of it. But right now, if I can't get MAME to work on it, it it's just not on my radar. And um, I am considering XWAR as well, but then you give up the Coco 3 emulation part of it. So that's, that's why I haven't pursued them anymore. Um, I do try to track progress on some of these other ones. Like you said, there's other... Uh, Raspbian-based distributions that are out there that'll run. Heck, there's even versions of Windows. There's other Linux distributions that are available. But again, unless I can get name to compile, that's kind of 
um, compile and, and run admirably enough where it it's going to do accurate emulation. I I don't I don't consider it right now. So. Well, you can always wait for Raspberry Pi four. <laughs> yeah, how, I don't know if they've even made any announcements about that with the B plus yeah. somewhat new. That's probably a year out. I'm guessing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think these same questions probably come up like even in the RetroPie communities, like because mm -hmm. everybody wants to take RetroPie to another level, you know, technologically speaking. But there's so much dependencies on Raspbian and and the drivers and stuff. That I would imagine it's probably hard just to transplant that to a new uh, you know like, like you say ron it's a, it might be better technologically the specs might be better but if you don't have the os support and the driver support yeah. and the compatibility then it doesn't matter how good the hardware is unfortunately well, xu4 board i forget the company that makes it and that's actually very very powerful and they actually have a version of RetroPie that's been ported to it and it actually runs very well with a lot of the emulators they have for super nintendo and things like that yeah but again, the biggest issue, and that's what that's what really got me started on this project, is I want the latest version of MAME, bugs and all, because they yeah goes forward and back with regards to issues. We all know the stories, but um, the RetroPie project, they're just not doing compiles on the latest versions of MAME. They're, they've kind of held back to a kind of a standard where it's going to work. And I want the latest versions. And that's right, right. And one of the things we didn't show, but you have in the menu of the Cocoa Pie where you can choose what version of MAME you want to run. And there's a oh, handful yeah. of versions in there, right? Yeah. So you can go from the latest yeah. to three or four versions back. So um, if there is some type of compatibility issue, we can tweak yes. that in the settings, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a great point because we've, we've known that certain versions of MAME will break something. And I got tired of like, oh, I don't want to give this up. So I'm like, you know what? They don't take up a ton of space, uh, the binaries. So, yeah, there's a menu option. I have about a dozen versions of MAME on there with various features. And you, when you select the default, all the menus then will use, that use MAME will use that default. And you can quickly configure it back if you'd like. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. A lot of thought has gone on to this. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in there. Like, again, we haven't scratched the surface, but I would suggest to anybody, you know, uh, join our Discord server. There's a link to the Discord server in the description of this video. Uh, go to imacoconut.com. Go to Downloads. That'll get you to the page where you can download the uh, image, and the image will get updated in a couple of weeks. There's documentation there. It's a Google Doc, so it'll get updated. So just save those links and, and look for the changes in the documentation. And, um, you know, reach out to us on Discord because more than one person's using it right now. We've got Ron Delvoe using it. We've got Rick Adams using it. I'm going to start using it now. Um, you know, um, to me, I think so. And I don't want to get I'm, – I'm trying to wrap this up, but I'll just, I'll just say this too. There, there's a few things, again, beyond the scope of this right now. But because it's uh, Raspberry Pi – you can pair Bluetooth keyboards to it. You can pair Bluetooth controllers to it. And that's not necessarily completely user-friendly because some of these things now we have to get kind of Linuxy, and not all of us are Linuxy type folks. I'm a Windows guy. I'm not a Linuxy guy. So there are a few things that, you know, when you want to do some of off, you know, off the script type things, there will be some expertise we can lean on saying, hey, how, like I know Ron Klein, you've got a Bluetooth keyboard paired to yours, right? You've shown yeah. us that little green yeah, keyboard. Yeah, I, I, I had an old Coco 3 case I got years ago. Yeah. And um, I put it in there and Chris Hawks, who's an old member of the Coco community, and actually he's the one that did a Coco Pie project years ago with an original Coco, uh, original Raspberry Pi. And he made an act, a really cool keyboard adapter to take a real Coco keyboard with the ribbon cable mm -hmm. and 
run it through a Teensy controller and then hook it up to your Raspberry Pi via USB. So my Coco case, my Coco 3 case has a Coco 3 keyboard and uh, a Raspberry Pi in it. And that's what I'm using, but I don't always want to use that keyboard. So I have a little Bluetooth keyboard off to the side and I can quickly type on that. And it you can use both keyboards at the same time, but it's kind of a nice little feature. Is that yeah. the one behind your head? No, that's a, what is that? That's a Coco, geez, I'm backwards with the mirror. That's a Coco <laughs> 2 back there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Coco 2. And an yeah. MC10. Yeah. Now, of course, we got to have the MC10. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, we um, any other last-minute questions or comments from the peanut gallery on this before we move I got on? One last one. Okay. Um, do you have uh, the ability to put other machines on this device? Yes, and you found a couple of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm kind of a closet Atari 800XL and TI99 emulation user. I actually have the, I actually have one of each of those real computers too. They were not part of my original. Um, the TI was after the Coco. The, the Atari was not. I just had an interest in them, and I do experiment with it. I have MAME. It runs it. So um, on the version that I use, I actually have the ROM images needed to run the Atari 800 and the, uh, the TI. Okay. Yep. Cool. And if you want to run, by the way, if you want to use it like RetroPie and add ROM images for Donkey Kong and all the other arcade stuff, it'll MAME will run it. It's there. Yeah, so you're talking about having it on the same SD card too, yes, on Delvo, where you can. And so, so really, at this point, it becomes, you know, they're just menu options, and what the menu option is doing is basically, you know, from a command line, you could type in Mame space Coco yes. two, and that launches exactly. the Coco two image. You type in Mame space Coco two B, it launches the second one. So you could type in like Mame space TI ninety nine or whatever the name of that. ROM yep. images, right? So you could, from a command prompt, launch MAME and the name of the ROM that supports, you know, that runs that system. So yeah, theoretically, CocoPie could emulate a bunch of other systems, but Ron's kind of got it focused on Coco stuff. But there more things could be added that you could just launch manually through the command line, or if you wanted to get fancy and update the menus, you could add more menu options to it as well. Yep. Um, and it, because because it's running MAME, it will theoretically run anything MAME runs. So like you said, we could run arcade games on this too, right? Now, not everything will run at full speed, uh, but yeah, it'll yeah. You have the images, it'll it'll try to load them anyway. Yep. Yeah, cool stuff. So who who in the panel right now has before today has not used Coco Pie and learned something new today? And I have not. You, and I have learned stuff. I, yeah. I, okay. I okay. I so, haven't. I haven't used it, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Learned a lot. Yeah. yeah we might back. set it up as uh, another option when we get into the part part of the assembly learning uh, series as one of our assemblers. Yeah. 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 I, I look at it as it's, it's kind of cool for me because I, I know enough about Linux to be dangerous. You know, I understand command prompts because I grew up on the cocoa and on DOS. So I understand the concept of the CLI, but I am not Linux savvy. I do understand a handful, literally a handful of commands. I can count on probably three fingers the amount of Linux commands I know. Yes. Same here. P yeah, PWD, LS, things like that, CD, Chamod. I always love the Chamod, Michael Jackson. Chamod! Chamod! Oh! So um, there's a handful of Linux things I know, but that's about it. So I could just tinker around at my own uh, convenience and become more Linux savvy over time on my Cocoa Pie and not have to waste a VM or real hardware, you know? So just that's another try, benefit. Try and blow it up. 
Try and blow it up, blow it up. Make sure you back up that SD oh, card. Yeah, really <laughs> All right. Well, the show is not over, but we're going to end this segment. <laughs> Tom C says, don't fear the Linux. <laughs> so we're not going to end the show, but we're going to end this segment. We're going to take another commercial break because I got to take a biological break myself. Um, and we'll be back. And uh, Nick, are you uh, you still awake, Nick uh, Marentes, to talk about the Gunstar and the core dump and everything? Uh, is it running a bit late though? I don't know if uh, you want to leave it for next week. Uh, I mean, I'm fine if you guys are fine. Oh, I can give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going on three hours, but it's been good. It's been a good time. We, we've, we've learned a lot on this cocoa pie and I think it was time well spent. Yeah. So, yep. um, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on our follow-up item. So we could probably squeeze things in in another 15 minutes if that works, everybody. Well, yep. what's good about this is you can always play it back if you miss something and you uh, get a new machine in front of you. And you, how did he say to do that? You know. Yeah, you can, yeah, just, yeah. And we need to. And speaking of playbacks, when we come back from the break, we need to talk about last week a little bit too. <laughs> so, all right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna take a break. I'm gonna go potty. I'm gonna go drop off a uh, Grant Leedy, and oh, um, and we'll be back here in just Poor a couple Grant. of minutes, yeah. folks. That's what we need to know. <laughs> you know, Dave is not here. It's always me. Uh, Hi, it's Ron Dovo, Timberman, and this is Coco Talk. We'll return after these messages. Hi, I'm Bruce Moore, and this is Jacob Moore. Gotcha. And we are the Forest of Doom guys, and the Coco Forever guys, and we are Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Strobe. What if, knowing what I know now, I could go back in time, join Tandy Corporation? and change the course of history. Coco forever. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay. To get your oh, copy God. of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay. Color Computer Gaming DVD today, gameplay. head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. That's right. Mention my name, you'll get a good seat. Let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. We now return you to Coco Talk. There we go. And we are back yeah welcome back everybody i think that was a good segment i enjoyed it and um 
It's long overdue. We've been talking about it. We've been hearing about it. We've been dreaming about it. And we now know a little bit more about the cocoa pie. And it's cool. And um, and it's good. So hopefully we've uh, generated some interest. I, I think it's it's kind of like the Goldilocks because you have the you have you have on the one hand I want to have real hardware, and that's great when you can. On the other hand, you've got these um, virtual hardwares like your FPGAs, right? But the FPGAs cost several hundred dollars. It's not a low point of entry to get into that emulated hardware. So then you got the Cocoa Pie. And for, you know, if you buy the whole kit with a case and a fan and a heat sink and a power adapter, you're looking at maybe 50 bucks, right? And then you've got, you've got a Raspberry Pi that can not only run the Cocoa Pi, but you can run uh, RetroPie, which is, you know, you download the RetroPie images. You can run Raspbian and play with Linux and everything else. So for 50 bucks, you got yourself a pretty cool toy that you have a lot of things you can do with. And I've actually just, I'm... The micro SD cards are dirt cheap, right? So I've got a little plastic holder and I've got a whole bunch of little micro SD cards and I can just pop in different cards and give my Raspberry Pi a different identity if I want to try different things with it. It's a low cost of entry. It's a pretty cheap little toy and it's pretty powerful. So um, I would encourage everybody, you know, if you're on the fence, you know, if you got 50 bucks to spare, you know, give it a shot. And uh, on Facebook, there's a Cocoa Pie uh, group. Yeah, because we don't have Ron Klein has not quite reached the limit of Facebook groups that can be created yet. So, <laughs> I mean, Ron Ron oh, Delvo, yeah. Ron Delvo, yeah. So, that yeah. yeah. So, so Ron Delvo is if you know he'll he'll find a new group to create for another reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting for the uh, Coco Cassette Cable group to start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I want to join the Coco Dust. Col- dust cover collectors group whenever you can get one of those <laughs> show show us your cocoa dust cover <laughs> you took it away from me <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. Uh, great comes to the rescue <laughs> yeah so, um, so um one of the things on our news item this week is our very own nick Morentes from australia who's working on his latest game Funstar available on ROM cartridge. Um, Fun he's got Funstar, yes. So Nick's got his latest development blog, and so we're going to take this opportunity to uh, do our new little segment here, where we talk about software, and we've got a cool little graphic and musical clip to play. So are we ready for the core dump, everybody? Let's take a dump. Let's take a dump, everybody. <laughs> And there we go. <laughs> it is time for Core Dump featuring Nick Morentes. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, everyone, yes. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if you've all read the, um, the webpage so far, but um, the, I, I open up by saying that uh, this project has uh, gone into the feature creep stage uh, that... Uh, uncontrollable urge to keep adding more features into the thing and i when i realized that the whole purpose of this music program game music creator that i've done was to create a little simple um, program just so i can put 
music together in my game, Gunstar. Unfortunately, I got carried away and I just wanted to, oh, yes, make it almost commercial grade if I could. <laughs> so <laughs> I sidetracked myself. But it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot about you know music in general and how to create music on the color computer. Um, I've written a routine that I can now put into my games. So I finally decided I'm going to put an end to my feature creep. I mean, there's still things I want to add to the um, to the program, but I figured I've got enough in there to do what I um, um, set out to do, and that is to create a editor for the music. Um, now, I don't know if you, you – Steve's got the web page up there at the moment, so I don't know if that's coming through too well. That picture actually of, is a screenshot of um, the latest version of uh, my game music creator. But I, I did a, a version of the screenshot that has scan lines, and it doesn't seem to come up too well. I might have to redo it with the version yeah. that's got no scan lines because it gets all broken up on, a, uh, on the on – the, um, the screen here but as you can see that's that's the current final last version until the next one <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so it, it's yeah it's just basically a uh, a, a four voice um, music program it just uses square waves to so that the set it's not doing anything super spectacular but it does do envelope for all the sounds so in other words, uh, you can vary the uh, rise time of a, vo of a, of a sound and, and the fade time. So it's a bit more than just the BP type sounds. Um, as of this version, I've also added a feature on channel four, voice number four, whereby you can actually swap out the, um, the fourth square wave generator for a noise generator uh, so you can get a sort of a percussive sound it's a bit more of a gunshot more than anything else but it gives a bit of a um a percussive sound uh so that's one of the main things i wanted to add in there so the website explains exactly just the basics of the uh the user interface on screen and then i go a bit further down and explain just a general block diagram of how the program works and and basically all it is as you can see on the screen there, it's there's a, a, a interrupt-driven FIRQ routine, which is the engine of the whole program. It sort of works as if it's a sound chip. It's always running. When I, when I started, it's, it's running constantly, creating um, four square waves. There's four little little routines, each one creating a square wave, depending on the frequency I tell it to run at. They're running all the time. Um, though the outputs of those, of each of those four uh, routines, is then fed into, into a uh, envelope subroutine, and each one has a separate setting for that. So that's where the uh, rise time, the fall time, uh, um, volume of the uh, that particular square wave will be. And each of the four channels has that envelope control. And then the output, of course, is all brought together, mixed together into one channel, and out it comes to the speaker. So fairly, fairly simple, but it seems to work quite well, and the sound quality is not bad. As I said, it's, um, it's, uh, it just uses square waves, so there's nothing fancy. But I have found that by combining the playback of, say, two square waves together, 
they will interact and, and, and create harmonics and you can create um, chords as well. And that makes the sound more, more interesting. So yeah. it does in, involve um, having to, um, to utilize two or more. You can use all four channels together, mixed together if you want. Um, and it just makes for a more interesting sound. And now that I've added the noise in there, you've got an extra element as well. So hopefully the finished uh, sound of music will sound all right for something that doesn't use a sound chip. Right. Um, I've got your YouTube video of the two-voice Frogger, if you want me to play that. Yeah, well, I, I haven't got any finished any compositions to uh, show it off properly, but you can show the little demo Frogger. Frogger 2 mm. is the better one to use, uh, which will come up after this. I don't know if uh, you're sharing sound yet. Oh, there it is. So that one's just using two voices. Mm -hmm. The next one combines two voices. Well, it uses three voices, but it combines two of them to, to give a more interesting sound. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty so, cool. So yeah, that was a, just a simple little test I put together to see if the whole damn thing works. Um, and uh, next step is to um, orchestrate my own tune that's, you know, epic and, and grand for the game itself. So that's uh, the next project. Um, and that, that's the status so far for my, um, my um, game music creator or my Gunstar. That's awesome. Yeah, because we need more uses of the initials GMC to further that's right. confuse the community. Everything. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that. Um, another thing I thought we might want to talk about is uh, now that we've got Diego on the uh, on the line, is uh, maybe get an update from the last time when we had uh, on 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 Core Dump. We were talking about him optimizing his basic program for speed. I was just wondering if he's tried tried out some of the suggestions. If he got anywhere with that, Diego, if you're there. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did try some of them, and also Paul also gave me, um, he created a machine language routine that tries to sync the HPUT command with the, with the video refresh, which does make it look a little bit better. So what I did is I added that I was able to clean up the code a bit to give, go a bit faster, and I also I'm also skipping every second frame of drawing the cat, so it actually keeps the image a bit longer on the screen, and all of that has helped make the flicker not so bad without actually slowing down the the movement of the cat because it's still moving the graphics. Uh, the positions are still being updated. There's still collision detecting and everything going on. It's just that I'm not putting the extra graphic on the screen. Hmm. So oh, well. the flight time, let's say, of the cat, it's it's still the same when you're playing it. Mm -hmm. But since it draws the frames not so often, the flicker is less. And with all the other things, uh, even with that extra weight there, it's uh, going... Uh, 
almost as fast as it was before without that extra weight. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, another thing that's um, popped up on the um, on the Facebook page is um, the um, I think um, it was uploaded by um, uh, Ron there uh, a game called Gnome. Um, yeah, yeah. Now the interesting thing about that game is it was done using um, C Basic, which is the Basic compiler, uh, which is available on the um, um, Coco archive site and yeah that sort of gives an example of what can be done with um, well, with the C basic compiler and it doesn't look too bad for, for, for basic so that's another area we should start looking into I'm, I'm actually interested in trying it out well, later on or sure, overlaying, sure. overlaying yeah. too many projects here but that'd be good because it it, it doesn't um, allow you to just take a standard basic program of course and just run it through c basic and bang there's your machine code version it is almost like learning another basic which is very much tied in to be similar to the standard rom basic but at least you know if you learn to use its syntax um, right. then create your basic programs in that and then you can compile it to be semi-machine language. But, yeah, just looking at the GNOME game, I mean, that's certainly a lot better than just what Raw Basic does. So sure. that's another good thing to consider. And maybe, maybe uh, Steve, you might want to then redo your program, uh, a new version. Uh, a yeah. Sequel, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Basic even. And do yeah. the same thing and just compare it. You might end up finding it's... Uh, you know, closer to machine language then. I, I think it'd be a good idea for us to cover some of these compilers and stuff. Like there's ML Basic, there's C Basic, um, Graph Express, which are all meant for writing games and speeding up the graphics and adding your know, multi-voice sound support. And that'd be maybe a good topic to cover occasionally on Corda. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the C Basic compiler is probably the better one if you if you have a Coco 3 because it, that's what it was written for. So it supports the high res and the color. Yeah, ML Basic uh, 2 does, and, and Graph Express obviously does because it's it's Coco 3 only as well. All oh, right, uh, Graphic Express. I got a okay. question. Uh, how, yeah. how, how did you know it was uh, made with that C Basic? Someone. Uh, I put a message up there asking whether it was a basic program and someone replied, said it's in C basic. Oh. Apparently that author has done a few programs. Yeah, Mike Snyder. Mike oh, Snyder, okay. that's him, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting, a good way of seeing the um, what what a, a basic compiler could do on a color computer. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also the other tool, the, uh, what's it called, the Dino Sprite? Yep. Di Dino Sprite's yeah. another one. I haven't um, seen anyone. Uh, I mean, it's very good as well, but I don't think you can program in basic on that though. That that's more of a library. Oh yeah, true, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, yeah, and there's another one that Karen had talked about too. There's the arcade game development platform that there's talks of getting it ported over to uh, run on the Dragon and on the Coco because that is kind of like a universal game engine that people have been writing stuff for for like the Spectrum and other systems. And if we can get that to run on the Coco, you could take the same games that were developed in other systems and um, just, you know, rerun them through and output it as a new Coco game. So if, if they can get that project finished, um, matter of fact, here, I'll just pull it up on the screen here real quick. Um, 
I forgot exactly what it's called. I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> but it's actually called, okay, AGD, right? So uh, Arcade Game Designer, right? So it was originally developed for the Spectrum. And they're looking to get some people to help take this tool and convert it to run on the Coco. Did the Spectrum have the same uh, display generator as the Coco? No. Nope. No? no. No. Okay. So I guess it needs to be ad- adapted to be a, to work on a VDG. And I guess there are some people who are working on it. But this almost becomes like, you know, the um, the Infocom interpreter, where if you can get an Infocom interpreter for the Coco, you can play the games. This is a similar concept here, where it's kind of like a game engine interpreter compiler tool. And if we can get that tool to run on the 6809 with the VDG graphics, there's a library of games already out there that could be instantly made Coco and Dragon games, as well as giving us a tool to develop new things, you know, uh, you know, arcade game designer. So there's some promise there, too. Um, I think it's also probably worth mentioning, too, that John Linville has been showing off the com- the uh, cross-compiler he's working on. That yeah, tiny basic base. T- a, a tiny basic that will, you know, com- create machine code for the MC-10 and soon for the Coco. Um, so I almost Brett's, think... Brett's doing a version of that for physics as well. Right, right. So there is some interesting, uh, interesting developments in the area of BASIC, and I would definitely be in favor of doing it on a modern PC, kind of like what I'm doing now. I'm using a PC editor to work on my BASIC game for Cosmic Aliens, um, and then just pushing that over to a virtual, uh, you know, an emulated Coco. I would love to be able to compile something where I write the source code on a PC, hit a button, and two seconds later, it's ready to run on a Coco or an emulator, you know? Steve, mm. did you see that Xenix game that I posted? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that fast? Oh yeah, that's 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 assembly language. Yeah, wow. that's Coco three. Yeah, and just really dynamic game. Yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, we had mentioned before, and it's probably a good topic, and we'll probably have that focus of a future show, but a show dedicated to the different development tools and environments that people are using, so we can look at things like you know Toolshed, LWASM. IDEs, cross compilers. Um, we, we probably need to do that. And, and these are things I'm slowly getting interested in myself. So I'm kind of on my journey of discovery. And I've got Ron Klein helping me and I got a few people helping me, um, uh, John Strong. So um, uh, I have the um, Roger Taylor one, the Phoenix IDE. But I haven't found any one single solution right now that is like the silver bullet. But I think we're close with one that Ron's working on. So um, it'll be interesting to have everybody and everybody's got their own preferences of how they work and what they use. So it'd be interesting to get this meeting of the minds of people who are using development processes and share that. Yeah, the Coco Dream Team, right? (laughs) So so that'll probably be a future topic. And I think that'll probably be an interesting topic. Um, Um, Yeah. And uh, one last thing for the um, core dump segment. Uh, And so I'll, I'll dump some more of my my core um i'm <laughs> uh, waiting for the sound bite. Um, <laughs> i was also just thinking the other day someone uh, i read somewhere that someone was talking about the commodore 64 was discontinued in 1993 i think it was and that's about around about the same time as the coco uh, was uh, discontinued from radio shack wasn't it 92 93 and it just occurred to me, yeah, uh, 92, I thought. Was it 92? Anyway, it just occurred to me. I said, well, 
here we are knocking Tandy and you know, saying all the bad things that Tandy did. And then I thought, well, we should really give them credit for actually holding on to the computer for as long as we as they did. Uh, mm-hmm. Commodore are the only other ones whereby you, you know, in 90, 1992, you could still buy an 8-bit computer uh, from Tandy, uh, the Coco. And uh, apparently also the Commodore 64, although I don't recall seeing anyone who was selling at any of the stores here, namely because Commodore didn't actually have any Commodore stores. It was uh, dependent on department stores or other individual computer stores selling it. But at least Tandy kept the Coco alive till 1993. And there weren't very many 8-bit computers that were around, um, well, into the 90s, that's for sure. So uh, as a rare segment, we are giving kudos and congratulations to Radio Shack. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There we go. We've got a dog on the show now. So there we go. Hey, everybody else got their cats. I got my dog. There we go. Excellent. And uh, that's that's all I've got for core dump. I've dumped everything. Nick, I have a question for you. You remember that? Far away. Do you remember that question I sent to you here about three weeks ago? Ah, yes. Okay. Um, all right. One more core dump. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this time it was counterclockwise for the Australian market. It's going to be a new group. Spinning <laughs> the other way. Um, I, that's right. Someone asked whether the high-res software routines at uh, – John Kowalski and I um, created uh, for the Coco 3, uh, whereby you can have a high-res interface without having an actual high-res interface, uh, just the standard joystick plugged in and that's it, reading it as a high-res uh, device. That works quite well on the Coco 3, but someone asked uh, if it could also be used on a Coco 1 and 2 so that it could be put into Co- um, Coco Max on the Coco 2. Um, now, we'd probably need John Kowalski here to actually a- answer it accurately, but uh, as it is, the routine does require, uh, rely on the speed of the uh, computer in order to be able to get all these extra sample points uh, from the joystick. Uh, and the Coco 3, of course, runs at 1.79 megahertz, which allowed it to try to get these extra samples in between samples now that's on the coco 2 that's a bit difficult it runs at half the speed but because of john's brilliant um um routines in in the way he was able to get gather all this data from the from the joysticks at high speed and then collate all the data to create effectively uh, if i recall it was a 15-bit uh, sample value. I think the same routines might work reasonably well on the Coco 1 and 2, even though it's not grabbing as much data. It'll get something. Because uh, one thing I did notice was that when running, when running the high-res software routines on the emulators, whereby you can't pull any additional data that's as the uh, soft, as, as the proper version does, the software averaging, the mathematics uh, that, that John Komolsky has done, still fudges a reasonably accurate value, even on VCC or MAME, which, you know, doesn't 
actually give you all those that extra data which leads me to wonder that maybe the, on the Cocoa 1 and 2, it would work. Uh, the other thing that you might be possible to do on a Cocoa 1 and 2 is um, the Cocoa 1 and 2 can be made to run at 1.79 megahertz. The problem is, of course, it loses video sync. But if you write the, uh, modify the routine so that it waits for a vertical sync, in other words, waits for it to have drawn the screen once. On the retrace, if it samples the joystick, increases the clock speed to a higher speed, does the joystick sampling during that blanking period, that the period where it's lost video sync, and then store the value, restore the clock speed back to 0.89, so just in time for the video to be resynchronized, you can then start drawing the next frame again as if nothing happened so in other words it might be possible uh, and again we'd need john komorski to uh, verify that but it may be possible to run the coco one and two at 1.79 megahertz during that blanking cycle to get a high res um, readout from a joystick without any additional hardware and then it would be nice to see coco max patched the old the original Cocomax patch to uh, use a software-only high-res interface because currently the original Cocomax needs to have that high-res adapter uh, plugged in, which also means you need to have a multi-pack and all that rubbish. So, I think I have a version of that that's been cracked. It's been cracked to use the high-res, one of the other high-res interfaces, isn't it? No, not to use it without it. Oh, okay. I haven't yeah. seen that one. Yeah, it uh, it works. <laughs> All right. Uh, send it to. Oh, is that the original Coco Max? Yeah. Not not Coco Max three. No, Coco Max for uh, Coco's one and two. And that gives you the full two fifty six by one ninety two resolution. Yeah, or does it jump I'll, a bit? Do you want me to put it up on my files? Yeah, uh, fire it up if you got it. If you got well, when, wouldn't it be easier just to run Coco Max on a Coco three? Than trying to hack a Coco uh, Two, well, to do it. it's black and Coco white. Three, on the Coco Three, you've got um, Coco Max Three, which is the color high res version, of course. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was just thinking to run I'll the original Coco Max on a Coco One and Two. If you if you haven't got a high res interface, you know it, the program is well doesn't work. But yeah, and I would think you could you could rewrite the routine not to be as precise either because you I mean on the Coco three you need a resolution of six forty to address every pixel on the high res screen, on a Coco one and two you only need two fifty six so the routine doesn't have to sample as much or oversample as much, so That's even right. the reduced yeah. clock speed might still work might enough still for that work, that yeah. screen. Well, yeah, because um, it really only has to go from six bits to eight bits to get all two fifty six pixels. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the routine that John's got actually goes and samples up to 15 bits, but, yeah. and then it down samples it down to what it needs to be. It yeah, needs to that, yeah, it needs to get that extra oversampling uh, and to mathematically work out a more accurate ah, um, gotcha. value. That that's yeah. how it somehow fudges it, and it works quite well. But yeah, if Ron has um, has that patch one, is that patch one on the Coco archive? I don't think so. Hmm. Okay. Okay, I got it here. Oh, you got it? Oh, well. If we've got time, it'd be cool. Yeah, I've never seen one that actually gives you the higher resolution without no. the... 
Are you are you trying to pull it up on your screen to show us, Ron? Or are you going to show us a, what are you going to show us? The actual cocoa I'm, or just a picture I'm of it? Sending it to the files section of uh, Ron's garage. Okay, so he's putting it on his Facebook page. Okay, oh, so we I can check. We can check that out oh, later. We'll put it's that on up on now. the Facebook page, and we'll have a, we'll have a look later on. But yeah. That's about all the time. Okay, so um, Rob Inman is asking, could we get John Kowalski on as a guest? And yeah, we, should we we've had yeah, him, uh, we've had him kind of unofficially a few times, and yeah, he's we should probably just reach out um, and ask him, Sockmaster. Yeah. The last time I think we really had him on was when we were talking about um, Donkey Kong Remix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a wealth of knowledge too. Uh, okay, let's talk about a uh, couple of things before we wrap up today. And the dump is over. The dump is over. Okay, <laughs> so we are going on three and a half hours. So this is definitely a record show. But it's it's interesting. Like you could have an hour show that feels like an eternity, and you're waiting to die. And then you could have a three and a half hour show that's just been a freaking thrill ride, you know. And so um, this has been a fun three and a half hours so far. So, um, uh, so last week, we, the episode, we had a little issue. When we say we had an issue, I had an issue. And so um, and we had a great assembly language segment, uh, part three in our series. And we started off with a pretty good uh, segment on why basic sucks, right? Basic is slow. It's interpretive. It's slow. It sucks. And then, you know, segment got a little long. My head was about ready to explode and um, long story short, I rage quit the Skype call. I rage quit the episode. No warning. Well, a little bit of warning. I put out a little chat message saying, guys, wrap it up or I'm going to rage quit. And then I rage quit. And so the episode ended prematurely. And, and if you didn't see it live, you've missed it. And up until now, it hasn't been available. And we've been thinking about what to do to make it available. But before we do that, I just think it's probably worth showing this off right now. Our very own Ken Reichard has come up with a DEFCON <laughs> rating right now. So when is Steve going to rage quit? Okay, here's DEFCON 5. We're at green. We're good. Okay, here's DEFCON 4. I'm getting a little bit yellow. All right, now we're going to DEFCON 3. I'm orange. DEFCON 2. It is red. DEFCON 1. All right, so this is going to be our meter that we're going to have to look at to see when my head is about to explode. So, um, so yeah, so we have a we have an episode that um, nobody has seen, and so I was trying to think of what's the best thing to do with this episode, and I think we've kind of talked about it offline, but we might as well talk about it online too. Um, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and decide to re-air the episode. But we'll, we're going to record a little bit more content because it didn't really end. We didn't end the segment, and there was no really closing to the show. So um, I think that's kind of the plan right now. Is everybody okay with that? Yep. Yeah, sure. so episode 66 right now is kind of like the lost episode. If you weren't there, you haven't seen it. But initially, I was just kind of not wanting to show it because I myself was just personally embarrassed over the way I handled it you know it was very unprofessional i just said screw this i'm out of here hung up walked out <laughs> and, and dropped that the was mic. A, dropped the mic and i was out of here so it wasn't fair to the audience it wasn't fair to um james and curtis who were deep in their 
discussions that was interesting to at least them two. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think the segment, maybe it went a little too long. It was too long for me anyways. And my, I couldn't handle it anymore. So my head exploded. So, um, I think we're going to go ahead and re-air that because we do want to keep the assembly series going and, and not everybody got to see it. So we want people to see part three of the assembly and we're going to do that. But you might have also noticed too, because a bunch of stuff happened that day, like Skype changed that day and the Skype update was really screwed up. So we've said, screw Skype. We're not on Skype anymore. We've got a new platform and I think it's been working out pretty well, right? We've tested it a bunch of times. We're, we've done it live today. We've, we've been beaten on this thing for three and a half hours today. It hasn't broken. No. Um, I did like when I was in full screen, how it automatically changed kind of voice activated. So when somebody spoke, it just switched cameras. So it did that automatically. That's kind of a nice feature. I like how we can see people's names on here. So I can see Grant Leedy. I can see Curtis Boyle, Ron Klein. So yeah, I think our new platform now is exceeding my expectations on what Skype did. And so that's one less thing to be stressful for. But you know, I just I think we just have to be kind of find balance on how long should a segment run? When should we take a break? Um, you know, like it was kind of looking back, I'd say it's kind of like, uh, we probably shouldn't have had the assembly segment right up followed by an interpreter segment. It's like tech talk after tech talk, you know, it was just, we, so we need to be a little bit more proactive in how we plan the show. And if we're going to have a, more than one tech segment, we need to put something in between that's a little less technical, things like that. So I think some good things came from that postmortem, right? Um, but my initial thought was I didn't want to air the episode because I was embarrassed, number, but I'm over that. I don't care. I'm, I got no shame. But I also didn't want to air the episode if it was going to embarrass somebody else because I kind of hung up in the middle of their segment. And I think everybody's okay with that, right? There's no, nobody's like feeling slighted or any, anything else. And so and if we're all good and we're all warm and fuzzy, we're going to go ahead and I'll repost episode 66 with some bonus content and make it more like a, a full-fledged episode. So, does that sound good for all parties concerned? Sounds good. Yeah. And I think I think James had agreed to that too. James is no longer with us, so because um, yeah, I do want um, I do want that assembly thing back up there. Uh, what else? What else we well, need to say in conclusion today? Go ahead, Ron. It went all south because I, I didn't show. <laughs> That's true. Ron wasn't here. Ron is the anchor. <laughs> I asked him. I, I asked him on Facebook. So how did it go? He <laughs> 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 says you don't want to know. Talk to you later. <laughs> So Bruce is saying, can we clip the ultra tech portion? Can we clip it and do what? Clip it out or what? Um, I think it just kind of needs to stand as it is. I mean, it just is. You, I don't want to alter history. I don't want to censor things. It is what it is. And we're going to put it in there and hopefully have, uh, have, a, have a good laugh now looking back. But at least complete. Because I, I just felt mostly it was an incomplete episode. And I didn't want to post an incomplete episode. So we'll, we'll, we'll put some bookends on it to complete the episode and we'll post it. Yeah. And one, thing you gotta, one thing you got to add for me, Steve, you got those beautiful DEF CON pictures. Yeah. Replace your icon on the bottom of you. With yeah. Those icon features. Yeah. You're in there just so that we get the gauge of just how bad you were. When. <laughs> you can kind of tell by his facial expression too, if you watch. Yeah. Down down the corner there and um and so a few people have copies of those videos too so i'm looking to see what people are going to do with some some humorous montages that might come from this so i gave one to brian joyce 
who is our master uh, of uh, entertainment. 2018 best of. Huh? Yeah, I gave one to Roger <laughs> Taylor. So uh, if anybody wants a copy of just yeah. a segment of me having my head explode, I can give you a video copy of that if you want to do your own edits and, and, and remixes of that. It'd be kind of fun. We just, we just need a new bumper for a meltdown segment. We'll <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So hopefully we can record some value-added content to complete episode 66, and we'll get that posted too. Um, but good show, guys. And thank you, Ron Klein. And you've been here the whole time. So thanks for being here, Ron. You're a trooper. Well, no. You know what? Thank, thank you. I know this was a long time coming, and uh, I appreciate you guys all listening to me rant on about this and giving me the time to talk about it. So, uh it was great to interact with everybody. Yeah, I think it's a great project, and I just want people to know about it, myself included. Like, I need to understand it better, but I think other people need to understand it too. And, and hopefully I'll be able to show it off now too. So when I go to, like, uh, my vintage computer clubs, I can show it off and I can show off uh, other things, you know. So, uh, like at VCF Midwest and things like that. So it's cool. Very, very cool. Any parting thoughts, I guess? Anything you want to say about what's going on in the community? What to think I, about next week? Or I demoed a, um, a program from uh, Simon, which is pretty awesome, but I can't say anything and I can't show it to you. <laughs> okay. It's coming. It's cool. But you've seen something. So you've seen oh, a peak. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a genius. He's work, working in the backgrounds, you know? Yeah. Just let this blow your mind. Try this for me. So yeah. I tried it, you know, and I give it back or I uh, made a, a quick video for him, you know, and he's like, wow. I said, can I post it? Oh, no, no, not this one. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, no. So we'll see it later. Cool. Something new to look forward to from the madman. Yes. All right. So Curtis Boyle, any parting thoughts before we start our closing ceremony? Nope, nothing extra for me. I've been so busy with work, I haven't done much cocoa stuff this last week. So you did manage to shave, which is nice. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> Barely under the wire, but yeah. Yeah, Ron, hey, but you're here. Yeah, Ron Klein. Any closing thoughts? No, I thought it was a great episode, and uh, you know, I I like uh, I like hearing people's feedback on this. So with this project, again, I encourage everybody to you know if they mess with it to. Uh, whatever changes they do share with the community. So the rest of us can see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Delvo, Timberman. Thank you for having me back. No, yeah, thanks cool. for being here. Yep. It's not the same without you as we've already experienced. So. Yep, for sure. <laughs> Ron has that calming effect on Steve. <laughs> yeah. He can't leave anymore. He's, he's oh, stuck here. <laughs> man. Nick Morenti's parting thoughts. Uh, nothing else. Uh, yeah, just go take a dump. <laughs> <laughs> go, Diego, go. Any parting thoughts? And you're muted, by the way. So, Yeah, I, I mute the computer. I mute my mic. You know, I still keep getting the police cars coming around. This is the kind of neighborhood I live in. So <laughs> that's it. Now just uh, keep going, guys. Let's keep on it. Excellent, excellent. And last but not least, Grant Leedy. Do not forget about VCF Midwest coming up here in a couple months and then Tandy Assembly coming up in November. There you go. We're in good shape. All right. Well, we're going to start the closing ceremony, so sit tight and get yourself some popcorn. We're going to begin the beginning of the closing ceremonies, but it's not over yet. 
Don't rage quit. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Johnson, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Boyson Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N Tech.com. Get your own switcheroo at CocoMan.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud, the number nine, Tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvo, and Jason Reichert. Production motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shalar. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Brian Joyce says, hey, it's a great show, only it didn't end prematurely. <laughs> Yeah, never does. Of course, our patrons. Thank you to our patrons. All right, so that complete that concludes the uh, the initial um, uh, closing credits. We have to get to our post closing credits here in just a minute. So, Extractus is here. Hey, Brian Joyce in Australia. Good day, Nick's neighbors here. Nick Morota, I tried to make a few smart-ass comments. You did a pretty good job. So, speaking of smart-asses, let's acknowledge everybody who was in the live chat today. Uh, we had a full house today. So Tim Fadden was here and Ken can make it. Disney Saints fan and Diego and Tim Franklin, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Moat 58, Tom C., Steve Bjork, uh, Nick Morota, and who else? Rick Adams and Tim Fadden and Sean Ernst was here. Terry Steen was here. Paco Otakte, our very own David Ladd, was here. Mikey was here. Um, uh, who else? Ken, Tim, Voice on Tech. That's Richard. Great, great announcement today on that two meg memory board, too. Wayne Aaron was here. Hey, Wayne, Nick Morota, uh, Tim Fadden. Yep, seen a lot of repeats now. Jim Gary is with here. Hey, Jim, and uh, who else? Nick Morota. We got uh, uh, Jason Bucata was here. He said, Hi, all, blast from the past. Hey Jason, um, he was Jason was also asking, does it uh, does the Cocoa Pie uh, boot um, Nitrous Nine? And I think Curtis answered that question. Jeff Arts was here. Thanks for being here, Jeff. 
Uh, nice, uh, Tim Franklin. Yeah, lots of people in the live chat. James Diffendaffer was here. He said I had to take off early. Nick Morota. Okay, so we're caught up on the live chat. We we peaked at somewhere around 30 viewers. 34, 30. I saw. Yeah, so we had a pretty good turnout today. Thank you all for being here. Obviously, it was a topic of interest, and hopefully we served you well with this information. Uh, again, I want to thank all the panel who was here. Did I miss anything? Are we good? No, I think we're good. All right, so now it's time for the final final credits before the post-post-credits sequence. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as The Stevie Throw Devil and The SD Pack, and you are watching Coco Talk in 3, 2, go. I'm buying your making face. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you have a script? You're rolling, Curtis. You say whatever you want to say. Well, give me some kind of guideline. Um, hi, this is Curtis Boyle. Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Coco Talk. All right, we're rolling. You say whatever you want to say, David. <laughs> Keep I can't even faces, think of anything. Nation, world, sweetie, weekly, candy computer, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Alright, I'm soon playing dagger with like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, now get back up there for one second. Oh, jeez. Come on. What? What, what, what? Let's get some dry wire, TTL, no. ESP. No, we don't need any dry wire or TTL. <laughs> Hi, it's Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Talk crew of people. Hi, we're on Delbo Timberman. I guess I'll to uh, experience Coco Fest. You must come. I brought the only working Pepsi 10. I could not get it. I could not get it. Couldn't get it. Ah. By certain someone you know. The world's leading weekly Coco Talk Show. Yeah, something like that. Hi, this is Rick Adams, and I'm the author of uh, yeah. Temple of Bronx. together if you want them all usable at the same time. Well, guess what? You just went over the four-slot MPI. There we go. And that's what the show is missing, too. Besides Ron Delvo, we're missing our David Ladd. David is with us in our thoughts and prayers. He's not deceased or anything, but he's still in our thoughts and prayers. So David's got stuff going on. We can't wait for David to get back to where he can be on the show with us. Hey, the reason I wasn't here last week was because I was with uh, Paul Barton. We were playing on, on our Cocos in the house here, making a, trying to make a 8-megabyte um, board work. <laughs> we got it working. We tested it and everything, but it wouldn't work with a floppy drive, so he's working on that. Ah, cool. Oh, is that why you were asking Richard if, 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 if his memory would work exactly. with a floppy drive? Yeah, because you guys tried it and exactly. it didn't work, right? Yeah. Yeah. It works with the SDC just fine. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, um, yeah, so we, we've done some testing this week with our new communications platform, and I think it works. So for those of you who notice, there's a few videos out there that say, like, live stream test that they're there. Oh, one more thing here. This is, what, this is something I'm thinking about doing, and, and I've kind of already decided, but I'll just bounce it off you guys, and I'll kind of inform you, too. 
I'm thinking about moving the live streaming of this show back to my original channel of original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Um, I've been doing some thinking about this, these channels and how I've tried to split the channels up. And, and um, well, I, I have no problems or concerns with the Coco channel. Um, I, I, th I think because as we start to do more talk shows, which I hope we do when we do things like retro talk and geek talk, I don't want to say, well, for this show, go to this site and for this show, go to that site and things like that. So I think when it comes to live content, I just want to have one distribution point for that. And so I'm thinking about moving it back to the other channel. Now, what I'll do is I'm just going to update the URL. So if anybody goes to the, to the live.cocotalk.live that I've been distributing, it's just going to point to a different YouTube channel and I'll post a message there too. Um, so, but yeah, and then I will post the replays on the Coco channel. The replays will still live on the other channel too. So, but I don't know. I just, I've, I'm thinking I want to start going back to my other channel. Cause I think there's, there's, I, I need to start building up some, some numbers there to keep it alive or I'm going to lose all chance of being a YouTube partner and ever monetizing and things like that too. And that channel's getting so like grossly uh, neglected, you know? So you this yeah, so this this show though this show gets a lot of views. You know, we're getting we get a couple hundred views a week, and you know we get hours and hours of view time. So those numbers are going to help keep that other channel alive. Because if I don't do anything to that channel, I'm going to lose it too, right? As far as and not not that it makes a lot of money, but I don't want to lose the option of ever making money. You know, yeah, so you're that's splitting the, it too thin right now. I think you're right. So so just with live content, like when I release a Coco video, I'll still release a Coco video to the Coco channel, but I want to just centralize all live shows. Um, and um, I'll just update all the URLs for there. So that's going to take a small transition, but what I'll do next week if I make the switch is I'll have a little graphical thumbnail when you go there saying we've moved, you know, read the link below and it'll just link people over. So it may take a week or two for people to catch on, but that's just uh, some behind the scenes thought process i've been going through with that now, are we uh, always going to go to uh uh where are we going to find the link for this for the live show yeah to, to watch it live yeah it's always going to be on uh, live.cocotalk.live well the, the the web the web address i created a generic web address that's called live.cocotalk.live and that points to my actual youtube page i'm going to change which youtube page it goes to so if people are using the live.cocotalk.live That'll just point to the new YouTube channel, or the old YouTube channel, I should say. Um, I'll, I'll have links for it all, and I'll put it in Discord, too. And by the way, too, for some of you who have not been on Discord this week, like like Nick Morentes and Ron Delvo, we've had a lot of discussions going on. We've been talking about plans and, and changing software and stuff. So I know you guys are busy, and you have your own lives, and you know that's your problem. But... Um, <laughs> The rest of us are on Discord almost every day. So we're talking about plans for the show and stuff like that. So if you ever want to know what we're thinking or what we're going to do next, just check on the Discord throughout the week, you know, a little okay. bit more often. And we'll have stuff posted there, too, um, which is all good. Uh, all right, guys. So we're going to wrap up Coca Talk episode 67, three hours and 48 minutes. Wow. We're going for another record, huh? This is making up for lost time from last week, right? So um, cool. All right, thank you all, and we'll see you all on the next video. Thank everybody in the live stream. Goodbye. Later, all. And we'll Bye. see you later. Okay, ending Bye. live stream in three, two, two one. one. Live stream is over. Okay, okay let's start after dark. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> might as well. <laughs> yeah. And we're off the air. Now what we really think.
<laughs> hey Stevie, the yeah. only thing I will tell you about switching over to your monetized channel is we will have to watch the language and make sure we get no copyright hits because it has been well known that if you break one of those community guidelines, they will suspend your live streaming for 90 days. Uh, okay. So just, just a little FYI, uh, that's something I've been noticing on some other YouTube channels that if you, you know, curse or you do a copyright thing, then they will actually will spin your live streaming abilities for 90 days. So you might want to look into that. Uh, otherwise, I <laughs> otherwise, Coco Taco will be suspended for 90 days. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I just got an email, too, from somebody saying, hey, where can I find Coco Talk episode 66 from last week? The YouTube theme uh, seemed to yeah, crash. Yeah, you sent a second email and said that, uh, never yeah. mind, you guys just explained. Yeah, never mind. I just, yeah, so that's kind of <laughs> funny, right? So... <laughs> Irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. Yeah, you know, um, because there's certain things here too that have the music in it. Like when we play, um, chord dump. The, the is chord dump copyright? Yeah, well, it is a commercial song, but uh, I'm thinking of getting my sons to uh, re-engineer that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it's less than thirty seconds, it's probably yeah, you're not, not thirty gonna... seconds legally, is it? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, but okay. like on the um, the one that plays the right said Fred, I'm too sexy. That one has triggered copyright stuff. Um, oh. You know things like that. But you know, I listen. I've triggered copyright stuff before and not lost my channel. So, um, but I'll, I'll play the odds. Um, I I don't think our show has any language concerns and. Um, not usually. Occasionally, yeah. So yeah. Are you just going to stream live on the other channel and then keep them stored on the Coco channel? Yeah, yeah. So when you when you stream it live, it's automatically going to be replayable on that channel too. So I'll just keep updating the original Coco Talk playlist on my OG channel. But then I also have to edit the video for the video podcast to condense the file size. So I'll just take that video and repost it in the uh, Coco channel too. So the replays will live in two places. Okay. Cool. Which also means now when I when I track numbers, I'm going to have to add up two sets of numbers, but it's no big deal. Um, you know, uh, you never so. checked to see what our numbers were this time. Uh, we're, well, we're close to like 9,800, but because I didn't really have any podcasts last week, I didn't publish a podcast last week. Um, and the numbers didn't change too much from the previous week, so uh, that should change after this week. Because this week I'm going to be posting two episodes. So I'll post. Aren't you familiar with Photoshop? <laughs> yes we're hit 10,000 <laughs> Ed McMahon One came million. by with a check yeah right <laughs> are we going to have a 10,000 party uh, yeah that'd be cool huh? I don't know what yeah. we're going to do but sure okay. we'll give away a lap dance of David Ladd or something so we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> give away an MC10 or something 